This is the one and only Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm your host, Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Yeah, boy. Tom, back in here. Hello, everyone. I don't know how to do the show anymore. I don't podcast anymore. They let him out. They let him out. Big Tom's back. I'll be back from behind the scenes. We had yeah. him. We had him in an engineer booth with with, with barbed wire um, uh, and and turnbuckles all around it for like the last you know few months. It's How been you rough. been? It, it it's been rough. I've been um, you know the sound booth doesn't have the ventilation, uh, so I pass out regularly. At right, you can't even say words now. See, my tongue is like stuck in the back of my throat because I'm so dehydrated. But uh, hey, Will, good to see you, man. You as well. Um, I'm fashionably late to today's recording session, as you know. Uh, fill the listeners in on that. Uh, my phone. I've been I've been downstairs cleaning up the house. My phone at like 11 a.m. had a lonely beep. Tom. I'm in the mist. Hey, man, you ready for this podcast that we definitely scheduled? I was like fucking going through old books and shit downstairs. I was I don't know what the fuck was going on, man. I appreciate you, Tom. Thank you for your time. Hey, no worries, man. Uh, yeah, so it's been yeah, it's been a crazy uh, year. This whole year has been kind of nuts. Uh, we're we're moving into 2024 now. Tom, it's been a while to, to play catch up, man. How, how you? I like. The last time we had you on, not not that this is a, a video show anyway, but you know you were in like a dark room in the corner. Now I see you at least. Uh, they've given you a guitar and a picture of a dog, which is nice. Yes. Um, let's see. This is the same room, but I've installed lighting and uh, these sound panels. Uh, yeah. I'll move this camera around for you real quick. No, I won't. It's stuck. Um, anyway, yeah, I hung up all the guitars and stuff, and this picture of a dog is actually. An Igor Ruby, my dear, split. Oh, um, from before before the uh, the metal kids really knew who Igor was. Um, this was pre Metal Blade. This release, I uh, yeah, I remember uh, Travis from Cattle Decapitation was trying to get Igor on a on a on a tour somehow uh, back in like 2017. That's how I first uh, became aware of that that group. Uh, yeah. I, I think they did do shows together or something. I think recently. I mean, you know, the the guy blew up. It's like one guy, and then he he brought people into his band. And I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker for it. I like the, you know, me. I like to tinker with uh, electronic noises and stuff like that. And he's just awesome at it. So, yeah, uh, you tinker with electronic noises for me every week when I send you these podcast, these zoom random zoom files and. Exactly. All sorts of shit. Dude, you should have seen. You would have been proud. I cleaned out. I cleaned off my desktop of my computer the other day, like a big boy. I, if you guys, if people really know how, how even after like a few years now of recording them in my home office, how untech savvy I, I really am, and how much I depend on Tom and Justin behind the scenes uh, to, to make things work. Man, you could probably write a little book um, down the heavy hole with Tom Saltman. You know, I'll be completely honest man you've gotten a lot better at communicating your issues before it used to be like tom it's not working and now i can ask questions and we can usually get down to it pretty quick uh allegedly from microdosing shrooms i'm That's not going to address those allegations man also not going to address the allegations that i was smoking weed with my mom and that's why i'm late to today's session people i don't know where the death metal community is outrageous with some of the stuff they've been coming up with lately 
Um, but I, I do got to say, Tom, we have, do they have legal weed where you're at now? I don't know. Where, I don't want to give away where you moved. I know you're like renegade style across the American Southwest. No, I'm not, I'm honestly not that hard to find. Um, oh shit. Tom's calling people out. Actually, I am hard to find. What am I talking about? I'm in Savannah, Georgia, but you know, it's a pretty hefty population down here. So, uh, there is, there's like a loophole with everything with weed. So there's like weed shops, but they don't sell TCA, uh, THC. They sell THCA, um, which is new to me. And also they can do uh, THC in a water-soluble tincture, but not oils. Whoa. Yeah, weird stuff. So you can get high anywhere, but it's uh, slightly off-brand or something. Makes me think about tech death. Not the good, like yeah. the like the, the too clean. It makes me think about like yeah. overly triggered, quantized, quantized, quantized from it. <laughs> oh, can't even yeah. can't even speak anymore, Tom. Um, yeah, no, we do have legal weed here in New York State now. Um, the only legal weed dispensary on Long Island is right up the road in Farmingdale, um, right by nice. Adventureland. If you if you remember, I don't. know, It's been a while since you've been here. Oh man, I miss Adventureland. Yeah. Um, yeah, far they they opened right by like far they're like a, practically across the street from Farmingdale University. It's funny, man. Perfect. Yeah. Um, not that I would know any of this. I, I read about this uh, in, the, in the Newsday, all of this information. Um, but Tom, somebody else who is um, themselves tech savvy when it comes to podcasting doesn't rely on you to slow walk them through the procedurals of recording and producing a podcast week to week. Someone who's been doing this since before I was in my infantile state of extreme metal podcasting. Today, a long overdue discussion with Mike Hill. Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast. In the world of extreme metal, extreme metal media, and in particular, extreme metal podcasting, today's guest should need no introduction at all. It's an honor to welcome prolific musician, writer, and podcaster Mike Hill to the show today. Thank you for your time, Mike. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for asking me on. I, I actually listen to the, to, uh, to your podcast, man. It's uh, it's something that, you know, it's part of my, my regular podcasting weekly uh, app, you know, repertoire of stuff that I do. So, yeah, I'm familiar with the show for sure. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it, man. Um, and as I said, I think it goes without saying, and I want to get into this during the conversation, that you were very early in on the, like, uh, we'll just say extreme metal, underground music, podcasting game. Um, and, and you also have a wealth of other things to talk about. So with that being said, as we always say on the show, I want to be respectful of your time and kind of jump right in. I always, um, uh, another thing I always respect is my references. And I just want to shout out the, um, get heavy podcast, the into the necrosphere podcast, uh, no echo.net and, um, 
what was the other one? You, you did a no clean no clean singing dot com, I think, article a few years ago. But you've been you you've been you've been around, Mike. Everybody's covered you. All I'm getting at is I know that you're originally from Carmel, New York, New York, upstate New York, Carmel, right? Very good, very good research, man. Yeah, that's my hometown. Absolutely. And that's for listeners, because a lot of people aren't from New York. That's more, I would imagine, like the suburbs, kind of like, uh, you know, a good drive, you know, maybe like an hour drive out of New York or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like an hour, hour 15, something like that. Yeah. Not so unlike where I'm from. I'm from the suburbs of Suffolk County, Long Island, um, kind of similar, like a lot of people driving into the city and, and a lot of people from the city. I know from another interview, your parents were actually, your family's from the Bronx, but, but moved away and, and you were raised in Carmel. That's correct. Yeah. My, um, that part of like New York, like Westchester and like Putnam County, it seems like a lot of people, um, that were from the Bronx, like now, you know, sort of migrated up to that part of the suburbs, I guess, you know, and like a lot of Brooklyn people, Queens people might've moved out to, to uh, Long Island, you know, that that's kind of feels like that's like the migration patterns of people that have been leaving like the New York, the five boroughs, you know what I'm saying? You're dead on because um, I know that my grandparents from from my mother's side anyway were, were from Queens. Uh, I came out here to Suffolk County. Yeah. So, did you uh, always have like interactions with New York City growing up as a kid? Did you still have family that you saw back there? Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, you- yeah. A lot of a lot of my family still live in the Bronx. Um, you know, I mean, just I mean, just in the last until they passed away, I, I had family that lived in Co-op City and. You know, like my cousins uh, were in Brooklyn. And uh, so all throughout my life, I had interaction with, uh, you know, in New York City. And I also have quite a bit. I had quite a bit of family out of Long Island, too, in uh, Islip Terrace, like in huh. that area. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I figured you'd appreciate that. That's you know? funny, man. Yeah, it's a, that's a Long Island deep cut. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, all right. And um uh, before we get, before we really get into music, another thing I know from a, from an interview you did, your dad worked for IBM. Yes, as a matter of fact, my dad worked for IBM my my entire life until he retired. Then he worked for the uh, the DEP for uh, New York City. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, your dad, I would imagine, is is it's, would would be a man of a certain generation to be working for IBM. That's early on in IBM, probably. Oh yeah. 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 He's, um, yeah, my dad, my dad is a, is a veteran, you know, he, he learned about boilers and all that kind of stuff in the, in the Navy. And then he, he came out and was working, uh, in New York life in New York city. And then when I was born, uh, they were like, let's, uh, let's raise this kid outside the city. So that's when they moved up to, you know, the Carmel area, Putnam County. And that was right around the time IBM like employed like a huge, you know, amount of people from that part of the state. So my dad, you know, worked his way in and got a, you know, got a job working for IBM, you know, doing like, you know, boiler stuff, like kind of like, you know, my dad doesn't, he, he's not college educated. So he worked his way up through the ranks to become like a, you know, very good provider for the family, you know, and just hard work, you know, diligence, like that sort of stuff. Those good, Good hard work in, you know, middle class, like blue collar sort of values, which is like he, they inst- he instilled that into me at a very young age. You know, so I, I owe a lot to my parents for like work ethic and integrity and like stuff like that. Uh, fair enough, man. Um, very respectable. Uh, so do you do you attribute any of that to 
how prolific you've been as an artist and how you kind of, um, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll get into the podcasting later, but, but how you kind of dove right into it at a, at an early era. And, uh, you, you've, you've just got a wealth of, of material now, uh, to, do you attribute any of that to the, to that work ethic or that upbringing? Definitely the, um, you know, the kind of like the diligence to, you know, move forward on stuff, but, but like a lot of it is just like, you know, I've always been like a, you know, a guy with not a lot of close friends and sort of like a loner, you know, and uh, to fill my own time and, and sort of entertain myself. Like I just got into like doing music and writing and just to keep myself entertained instead of sitting in my room by myself all the time. That's kind of like how I really got into, you know, doing creative stuff. And like, you know, I, I don't consider myself like some sort of like, you know, virtuoso in any particular thing i just i just work hard and i try to put things together and kind of find my own way through stuff you know just in like a very introspective kind of way like you know everything's very internal like just sort of trying to make stuff that i want to hear or you know write stories that i want to read you know that kind of thing so that that's really why i think that i've turned inward a lot of ways to to put this out there as like it ended up being something that I put out to other people, but it started first something I was doing for myself. With that in mind, going back, I usually ask people, when do you first get your guitar? When do you first do this? Like, I mean, let's just talk about creativity in general, whether it's writing, public speaking of some sort, any, like going back to when you were a kid, when does this first start to manifest? And then take me through that journey into becoming a young musician um, interested in more subversive media. Well, you know, it's funny. The thing, the thing that comes to mind right away when you mention public speaking, and uh, see, I, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm Irish Italian, raised Roman Catholic. Okay, so, uh, you know, I went to like, you know, CCD and all that sort of stuff when I was a kid, <laughs> and I remember I had to like uh, re- do a reading out of like the Book of Deuteronomy in front of, like, at some some event, you know, some event that's part of like your religious upbringing or whatever. And I had to like read this passage out of like the Bible. <laughs> and uh, I had to do that in front of people. And I remember it was something, even at a young age, I kind of was like, Hey, no sweat. I'll do this. You know? And I just, even though I was a very introverted kid, you know, I wasn't very you know outgoing, but there was something about the challenge of like having to like stand in front of people and read something, you know, that, was kind of like, uh, in, you know, it was, it was a challenge, you know what I mean? It was almost like, like, uh, j- jumping in the ring or something like that, you know, or getting on the mat and doing something, you know, it's like, it, it was interesting to me. And I think that's the first time I really thought about like being in front of people performing in some way, you know? I, I can relate to that. I I'm, I was smiling before because I I too went to Catholic school. Um, there's, yeah, there's just there's just a lot I can relate to uh, with with that sentence there, man. I I, I hear what you're saying. Um, it's yeah, it's funny how far that that urge can go back. That kind of public speaking, and it, and I think it can manifest in terms of being. Uh, maybe even politicians share that as much as some artists and, and performance artists do. You know, maybe maybe you know it's it's like a I don't know. It's like it could manifest any way depending on how you grow up. So then, then, okay. With that in mind, then when does it become music for you? And when does it become picking up an instrument of some sort or, or vocals if that's first? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think about singing until way later in, in, like, even being in bands. Like, the first, I guess, like, as a kid, I really got into music, like, in school. Like, there was, like, all these programs, like, to play saxophone and violin and trumpet and clarinet and, like, all these things. So I was always involved in music on that level. And, um, you know, listening to early rock music, like, hard rock stuff like Zeppelin, you know, and Black Sabbath. And, and I was, like, something about guitar obviously for obvious reasons you know it's the coolest thing in the world man you know rock music you know going up there there was like this this spirit to, to, the, to the instrument that just grabbed me you know and um you know and the reason why i got into like sabbath and like old old like hard rock music is the kind of fantasy element of it too because i was always way into like you know reading like weird fiction and like hp lovecraft and Lord of the Rings and like all this stuff. And there's a direct connection between that and like heavy metal and hard rock. So for me, I gravitated towards that kind of music and the guitar was like such an expressive instrument. And uh, and I was like, I can never play guitar, man. So I'm gonna play bass. So I remember watching like uh, Night Flight up all night. I don't know if that was a thing on the USA Network. And uh, there was a live video of the Go-Go's performing and uh, I remember the bass playing and the Go-Go's was like something that was like, man, this is like, I, I think I could do this. It's like the sound, you know, like this really heavy sound. And that's like, you know, what drew me in. And then, I, you know, Sabbath, bass, you know, Rush, Getty Lee, you know. But ironically, uh, I ended up not playing bass. I ended up playing guitar. And uh, But it was always like the heaviness and the, like the thick sound of a bass. But... Earlier on for me, it was bands like Sabbath and Deep Purple, which had the, that vibe to it. And uh, I remember taking guitar lessons and it was like, ah, I don't know, man, this is not really my kind of thing. But then one day I was hanging out with this older kid that played guitar in bands and he was showing me bar chords. And I was like, oh, that's that's what you got to do. You don't play like these like open chords. You have to play these bar chords because I was wondering like why. I was playing the G chord and why it didn't sound brutal. You know, it sounded like, you know, some like James Taylor shit. You know what I mean? But then like this kid showed me the bar chord, the power chord. And that's when I was like, oh, so that's the, that's the trick right there. And then from there on, it just all self-taught sort of stuff. Just trying to figure out like Sabbath tunes and ACDC and, you know, Zeppelin and stuff like that. Okay, what what is um your your dad coming from a more blue collar background? What does he think of music and uh, in particular the type of music you're you're gravitating towards? Well, my dad's always liked music, you know, like different types of stuff. You know what I mean? Like he, uh, you know, into like old school, like New York City, like uh, girl group stuff. You know, like that kind of thing. You know, my dad's like a New York guy, like very much into that sound. Roy Orbison, which I, who I love, you know, Roy Orbison's like one of my favorites. Um, uh, you know, he initially, when I was a kid, cause of course I wasn't good enough really to play metal. So I had started playing punk music and that whole thing started up. And I don't think he was too happy with that necessarily because of like, you know, the strange people that ended up showing up at the house and, yeah. you know, that's when I started playing in bands, you know, and the haircuts and like, you know, the funny clothes and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, that, that was like something that um, wasn't really, uh, I think he kind of hoped things would turn out diff differently, you know, if that was a path I was going down, you know what I mean? But um, 
but I think that once my my parents, you know, started seeing that there was something that I wasn't wasting my time doing this stuff, and that it was actually a positive thing in my life, where right? I wasn't on drugs, I wasn't getting into trouble. Um, yeah, we used to practice in our basement, so they knew where I was all the time, and they saw that it was uh, something that I had a real interest in. Was like that's when it would became like okay, this is like this is okay, and all these people that are coming to the house that look weird. They're actually pretty good kids, you know, and like they're not out there getting into fights or, you know, well, that's that's not 100% <laughs> true, really, in my case. But like they're not causing trouble. They're not getting drunk. They're not doing drugs. They're staying out of trouble. And that was kind of like the thing that made my parents realize that like everyone's pretty cool and this is like a good thing to be involved in, you know. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's just funny how much you're 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 talking about is this kind of stuff that I can uh, I could point parallels to uh, in my upbringing. Um, you know, it's it's a, a lot of, a lot of people I think. So, with with all that being said, how old are you uh, when you I guess join or form the band Otis? That was like uh, I was probably like twenty three. Okay, and uh, yeah, so I was like. A kid. I'm surprised you know about this stuff, man. This is like, I don't even think these records are out there really anymore. But that was like when I was living in Boston. I moved up there uh, actually <laughs> for the the worst reason in the world. I moved to Boston was to be with a girl, and <laughs> li- literally weeks after us being together, we broke up, and it just put me into this like one of the most intense, dark periods of my life. And um, as out of that. That's when I kind of realized, like, you know what, man, like, you got to just do what you want to do. And it kind of put me on the path of, like, playing in bands for real, you know, like, really taking this stuff seriously. Because I don't think that I was very serious about music until that moment, because, you know, to me, it was like a pastime. It was just like a fun thing I did. It was like, you know, jam, play, play some shows, like, do things like that, you know, nothing that was I really thought would be like worth putting a lot of effort into until that moment. And that's when I was like, you know what? I just want to be a pirate and just have adventures, you know? And that's when that band Otis started was, that was the mindset. But once again, applying that sort of like blue collar work ethic to it, that became like this obsession where we were practicing every night, you know, and trying to refine like what we were doing and, the music that band made was terrible. First of all, I can't even listen to that stuff, but like the lessons on how to do a band, I think really were solidified in those, in those years, in those short period of time I was doing that band. And, uh, and that's pretty much the approach I took with everything afterwards, just like approach it. Like you go into wrestling practice or something, you just show up, do your thing, keep going, push really hard and then go home and go to sleep and then get up in the morning and do it again. You know, that was like the approach for every single band I've ever done. It's been like in that mindset, you know, and maybe that's why like a lot of people can't hang for the, the duration, you know, they don't, you know, as you know, Tombs has had a lot of different lineups and different members in and out. And maybe that's like why, um, you know, people want to do things. It's cool. They do it while they can do it, but maybe they don't have the same sort of like, gusto for it that i do maybe you know or maybe they have more things in their life that make them happy besides like playing in a band so you know that that was kind of like what 
that band Otis has kind of set the, the, the course for everything that came afterwards. Well, yeah, doing the research, it definitely seemed like a big jumping off off point um, in your catalog. So, but you're so you're you're in your twenties there. J- just to clarify, then, were there other bands before that that you were performing live in, writing original material in, or was that like really like the the first real thing, like you were saying? Yeah, that was the first real thing. Like I'd, I'd attempted to do a bunch of stuff, um, you know, all through college. I put a, actually when I went to college, there was like a big hold on it because I was trying to get through getting an engineering degree. So that took up all my time and energy. But, you know, after after I graduated, it was like, yeah, let me start playing guitar. I had money, I bought gear, but I couldn't really find that sort of um, creative spark, I guess. And uh, I wasn't really satisfied with the things I was doing and couldn't really find people to play with. But I guess it's that breakup, man. It always comes down to a woman, I think, a lot of times in your life where that suddenly everything became crystal clear to me that this is what I have to do to get through these times that I was going through. And that's pretty much the kickoff for everything after that, you know? Um, yeah, I, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about, it's about you, man. We'll, we'll talk about that on the Patreon. <laughs> um, uh, all kidding aside though, Something I did want to ask you about, though, because with 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 Otis, um, some of that music is available if if you look hard enough online, um, and it's it seems more like it's it's maybe uh, with a hardcore punk mentality, but in in that day and age, grunge uh, and the more the more heavy side of independent rock, whatever you wanted to label that as in, in that day, it seemed like it, it kind of had a foot in that, and yeah, definitely. You guys were uh, on on a something of like a, of an independent label. I got to hear what was it? Um, uh, Cherry Disc Records. Yeah, Cherry, Cherry Disc Records. Yeah, and then yeah. Bu- Bulletproof Records for the second album. Um, ele- electric. Oh, that, that was that was actually uh, I think the that was like um a licensing thing. But the label that we were on was called Cherry Disc, and uh, they they had some fantasy about you know becoming like you know you know back then. It's like independent labels were getting like they're becoming like this kind of uh, you know passageway for major labels, you know. So Cherry Disc, I think, because they had some kind of connection with like larger majors, major labels, and I think Roadrunner was something they ended up doing. Something with Roadrunner, they they were hoping that one of the bands on their label would have like you know uh, some kind of spark and maybe become like the next typo negative or something like that you know and um but it was kind of cool for us because there was resources to do things like you know we had money to make records and record and here and there had some tour support and there's opportunities to tour with you know some bands that we might not have had the opportunity to do tours with if we were like just you know banging it out on our own you know so yeah there was, there was a positive element to it and that band in particular, it was like, I think half of the band wanted to do one thing and then the other half of the band really was trying to do this other thing, which is like, you know, when you're like a young kid, you know, you're young, young man, that's sometimes the case. Like, I know me and the bass player wanted to do, we wanted to be, um, you know, like Buzz Oven or like I Hate God or something like that. And the singer wanted to be, uh, you know, Lane Staley, you know what I'm trying to say? So 
there's like that conflict and that's ultimately how a band like that ends up breaking up and doesn't really succeed at anything yeah fair enough um but you 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 got kind of a glimpse into the music industry at that point which like like you say that that was a big thing in the 90s where these quote-unquote indie labels i guess you want to say we're getting um, distribution deals with with larger companies. I'm, I'm looking. What was the book? Um, uh, Albert Mud Ryan choosing death. The, oh the, yeah, yeah. He he, yep. he he tells the tale in that book um, about what was going on with a lot of Eric Records bands. Oh yeah, very yeah. yeah. Well, there was Eric had that whole thing with uh, was it Warner Brothers? I think like uh, yeah. I think I think Eric had or Columbia it was with Columbia. I believe they had this sort of vibe going on with that label for and there's a bunch of those death metal bands that suddenly had this like high profile which yeah. is like awesome for the yeah you know, for the bands really you know but as far as culture goes i don't think people were really ready for that sort of thing yeah and then 10 years later it was all about you know the streaming music started and and you know metallica and all, all that sort of things it, it was just crazy how it all the the big boom kind of came and then the digital music um we we can get into that though, but because I don't want to get too far ahead. And another question I had for you: moving to Boston as a young man in the mid '90s, um, yeah. and being part of the underground music scene, just in general, Boston has a reputation in certain areas, as as certain areas of New York and any place else, that of being a, a violent place, a place that where there can be a lot of crime and and stuff like that. I just wanted to get your take on that. Moving there. Uh, having grown up in the suburbs and and pursuing music and things like that in the in the 90s is that a misconception or or is that something you may have encountered oh yeah in the 90s for sure there was a lot of violence in boston a lot of it a lot of it had to do with actual you know hardcore metal shows there was always like some kind of beef or like you know some some there were you know, a lot of crew activity up there um you know i saw a lot of really dark stuff happened at shows uh you know and in some ways that really was working against the scene in a lot of ways because some venues decided you know people getting hurt we're spending too much money on uh security and um we're just not going to have metal and hardcore shows anymore we're just going to stick with like you know indie rock or whatever you know some something where people aren't going to get stabbed or like beat up at you know and uh so yeah, so that was like, that was the, the vibe of Boston when I lived there and, you know, the neighborhoods I lived in sometimes, especially when I was trying to do the band, like, you know, we were doing the band and touring a lot and um, trying not to have jobs, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's like, you got to, you got to do what you got to do and you got to live in certain areas. And uh, yeah, that was definitely, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a reality uh, experience, you know? Yeah, um, I, I mean, just gr- growing up, I you know the the Boston hardcore scene has you know is obviously kind of like this thing of lore for a kid like me who grew up a little bit younger than when when anything would have been going going on over there. But obviously, it has that reputation. Um, I know that you also did some time in a band called Four Fifty Four Big Block, which may have been maybe more more into into the hardcore scene up there, if I'm not mistaken, than Otis. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean, me personally, and I, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore guy. You know what I mean? That's not my thing, really. Um, I mean, I, I love, you know, bands like Black Flag and the Bad Brains and Chromags and stuff like that. But my, 
I'm just not part of that culture, you know what I mean? But I do have a lot of friends involved in that scene. And uh, Big Black was, um, they had members of like Wrecking Crew, uh, Eye for an Eye. Um, you know, uh, actually Al used to play at Shelter. Like it was a lot of the, like dudes like that. And uh, they were friends of mine at the time. And um, at, when Otis broke up, I was available. And they were just like, hey, we need someone to... Uh, play live with us because our other guitar player quit so i joined i joined for like maybe a year and uh didn't record anything with them and um you know we were writing material but it ended up never getting uh recorded maybe just i think we had demos of some cool stuff we were working on but that was just like a brief excursion into that world i mean we did a bunch of dates with like earth crisis and like blood for blood and you know agnostic front stuff like that but it's never really my thing and um out of that, that's when I, you know, moved into my next band after that, you know, Anodyne. Of course, I definitely want to talk about Anodyne. And um, if I got it right, Anodyne is 99, 98, 99? Yeah, like 97, I think, is when we started. Our first, our okay. first demo, I think, was 97. And then, you know, after that, yeah, probably 98, 99, we're more active, for sure. And you guys started up in Boston still? Not in New York yet? Yeah, that was that was still, um, still in Boston. Um uh, it was pretty much right. I think I started out while I was still playing in Big Block, and um, started that band with uh, Taz Niles, who uh, used to be an eye for an eye. He was in uh, this great band called La Gritona, which is still way. I mean, that's a band that was just a few years ahead of where they should have been. If they'd have came out like a couple years later, they'd have been the biggest thing in the world. But they came out like right before bands like Dead Guy and um, Dillinger Escape Plan and bands like that were, were really doing doing that sort of thing. But they were a couple of years, just a little bit before, you know. And so that that's what that drummer, Taz, played drummer drums in that band. That's why I wanted to do something with him because I was looking to do something more, you know, abrasive and noisy and uh, kind of taking like black flag and slayer and you know just evil shit and putting it together and just making something that was like completely misanthropic and dark and negative and the kind of thing that would clear rooms you know (laughs) so that was kind of like that was the mindset i was entering into that that thing because i was yeah just like just like an unhappy kid man you know just that's how i felt like all throughout most of the 90s just like negative like guy you know and that's the kind of music i wanted to make and that's what that band ended up doing was making music like that fair, fair enough let me ask you this Re- respectfully and not not to single out um 454 B- big block or otis or anything but you you talked in general about the, the boston music scene and some of the things that were working against the community that were going on at shows, did maybe seeing violence at shows and seeing a scene that was working at that way at that time, did that maybe steer you into wanting to perform a type of music and wanting to pursue a scene that the performance was was a little bit more um, the, the point rather than like the audience engagement aspect of it? And and I, I, should, I, I guess the subculture crew aspect of it too? Well, the, the crew thing, I was, I was never my thing, man. Like, I mean, I, I know guys that are involved and stuff like that, but it was just like, 
you know, to me, I, I don't want to join any groups or be part of any, any kind of like, you know, regiment or something or wear the same clothes that someone has to, you know what I mean? I, I don't want rules like that or hang out with people that I'm supposed to hang. I was just never my thing, you know? And I, and, and like going, you know, as a, when I was a kid going to shows and dancing and, you know, getting crazy in the pit was cool. But then it became like, you know, you would see people get beat up and that just wasn't my thing. You know, I, I not just not into that, you know, and also musically, I'm not really into hardcore. It's like that style of music with the exception of like, you know, bands like integrity or all at war or like the more metal edged, like hardcore stuff was like more to my liking, you know, stuff like, you know, Marauder or something like that, even though people, you know, that's like, you know, one of those bands in some ways, you know, but like musically, I, I always liked more like something from the metal world because that was more of my taste, you know, and um, so I just, the hardcore stuff to me just wasn't really moving me and lyrically the songs were not interesting like the music wasn't interesting on a lyrical standpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, bands like Integrity, you know, they, the lyrics that Dwid wrote and the sort of energy of a band like that has resonated more with me than like a band like Strife or something like that, you know, or a band is singing about big straight edge or whatever, you know, and that, that kind of like thing just never really touched me. You know, I wanted hear music and relate to lyrics that were more about just like darker aspects of life. You know what I mean? And that was, yeah, just more of my thing. Well, I, I asked that too, because with Anodyne, you guys are early on in the game, I should say too, exploring territory where in the early two thousands, uh, extreme music, whatever you want to call it, it became, Obviously, the the the, the subgenres will always exist for people who want them, but it became a big game in the early two thousands of intermeshing grindcore and meth with everything. Um, yeah. Everything had a hardcore edge. I feel like Dillinger Escape Plan, Slipknot, I feel a lot of different bands came out at the same time in the late nineties. That kind of just made it like a almost a competition for bands to um uh, uh to to. to I don't want to say like show off, but it became this like this very musically expansive thing in heavy music, and it became heavy music. It wasn't necessarily hardcore or metal anymore. It was just like an open field uh, for a while in the early two thousands. Do you? I mean, did did you you guys feel like you were kind of maybe like some of the the um uh like the the pregame on on that? And and would you agree with what I'm like you know assessing the music field as you know back then? Well, I mean, I, I don't think we influenced anybody. I think that we were just a band that was like maybe part of like the more popular bands are obviously out there, like bands like ISIS and, you know, and, uh, you know, Dillinger, like you mentioned them, those guys are the real architects of that whole scene, really. Like we're, we're just like a footnote in that world, really. We're not, you know, we weren't a major player at all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it became more about like creativity and, and that time like the late 90s early 2000s like in heavy music or whatever anything that a lot of those bands had like like a basis in like hardcore and but were into real into music it wasn't like about necessarily having songs that sounded like 
you know, youth of today or, you know, minor threat or referencing stuff that came before, you know, is more about putting a new twist on things. And that's, that's how I felt like, at least like, um, you know, philosophically, like that was, that was definitely what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to do something that was like creative and new and not really limited by like certain, um, parameters you know that, that was my biggest thing like when youth crew came back and like i'm not trying to slam anyone's taste or music or whatever but it's like like i remember when those early youth crew bands like became popular and they started surfacing i was like like yeah this is like some kind of joke right like this is this stuff's like it's like having a rockabilly band or something you know it's like playing music from the 50s and like now i'm gonna like wear a pompadour and pretend i'm like you know joni and chachi or something you know what i mean so like when I saw these bands like that sounded like Minor Threat and I mean I'm sure I'm pissing people off by saying this stuff no, but it's like I don't care ahead. you know it's like it's like I'm like you guys got to be kidding me it's like there's so many other things to do with your time than rehash all this material but then what do I know these bands like you know became pretty massive and they had their moment which is awesome and you know I got friends that played I mean Ten Yard Fight like I was roommates with those guys those guys are cool like I just don't really like their music but good guys you know and it's good for them happy you know, i'm happy that they were able to do what they did but uh it just wasn't my kind of thing you know it just never i didn't really want to be stuck i would never want to be stuck in like a box where i can't do something different you know like that was like that would be hell for me you know yeah and i'm only no, i know i you have every right to say that and i i, I agree <laughs> And the only reason that I'm really like laughing and smiling over here is because um, I I said something similar. I'm not going to say the bands, but there are certain <laughs> bands. I call them Civil War reenactors because it's like they had an album 20 years ago and they're kind of still doing it. And, and the, here's the thing. These guys don't need my support. They're selling out bigger shows than my bands. There's more people that are going to worship their album than, than any of my albums. So I'm, I'm really, like, if anything, I'm punching up respectfully, you know, out of love. But, like, there are certain bands where I say they're Civil War reenactors because they're kind of just, like, like still, you know, still acting like it's that one album from 91. Let's do it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, no, but, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I know that you relate to what I'm saying, Will, but yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm punching up too, bro. It's like, I don't. You know, I'm, 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 who the hell cares about anything I'm doing, really? I'm just like here making music for myself, really, you know? And it's like, like the, uh, you know, hey, you like that? You know, good for you. And good luck. That's awesome for you. But for me, I'll be doing something else. You know what I mean? You, you got to be careful, man. Well, because here's something I don't want to get too sidetracked, you know, from your journey, but this, this brings to mind a question because. You got to be careful when, you know, when you're doing a podcast and you're talking about underground music with people, you do have to be careful sometimes because we might crack jokes the way we would at rehearsal or at a show oh, yeah. and it could get misconstrued. Somebody might hear, you never know this, you know, the scene could be a small place, but, um, I know somebody who wrote reviews, uh, for a website. This is going back many, many years. They probably, I don't think, I don't I'm not even sure if they're still involved in writing anymore or music or whatever, but they, they were in a situation where they wrote I guess a somewhat condescending review to a metal album that came out, and then that person, that same writer, was in a band, and their band ended up doing uh, opening direct support for that same band when they came around, and the the headlining guy had something to say about it. You know what I mean? And kind of like, sure, not, of course, you know, kind, yeah. of, kind of just put him in his place, like embarrassed him a little bit. You know, when it was time to shake hands and introduce everybody, he's like, "Oh, I know you," kind of thing. You know, I you know I I read your article type of thing. Ha 
Is that kind of like a, a thin ice or like a, like you know like a, a, a careful dance that you do with all of the media you're involved in and the writing and that sort of thing and networking for your own music? That's an excellent point. And uh, one of the things that I've never really done is write reviews. I mean, when, I, when any of the kind of like music writing I've done has been interviews. And usually like I, I, I kind of retired from writing about music, honestly. I do my writing now is focused more like on fiction and stuff like that. But the um, like when I was involved in doing music, quote unquote, journalism, which I know is like, I don't consider myself a journalist or anything like that, but like writing, you know, interviews and talking to people, it, the editors would always be like, Oh, I think it, you guys would have a good conversation it would, and a cool interview would come out of, out of it. Or it was never like I was asked that was assigned an interview with someone that was like, not my kind of like thing, you know? So, you know, if you're trying to make a living doing music writing, that's not a good place to be in. You have to be this sort of like blank slate that can talk to anybody. And that's, if I wasn't interested in what someone was doing, it just wouldn't be like that fun and it wouldn't be a good interview and it wouldn't be like meaningful to me really. And that would come out in the writing. So, and I never wrote reviews. And then that's like why, like, you know, with the podcasts and even, you know, necromaniacs, like the, the horror podcast that we do with, with Mike and Jeff, it's like, we just talk about generally just talk about stuff we like, you know I mean? There's so much out there that I love and that's like so many bands. I love so much music, so much, you know, so many, yeah, so many movies and books that I just love. And I prefer to focus on that as opposed to the things I don't like, you know what I mean? And cause that, that just creates like this energy of like negativity around you. And, you know, if I don't like it, then I just don't, check it out. Like, I don't, I don't get into it and I don't disparage people for liking stuff that I don't like. I mean, I know my girlfriend has uh, accused me of being a bit of an elitist at times and you know, it's like, maybe that's true, but I also don't look down on somebody if they like something I don't like, you know, it's everyone has their own taste. Like there's plenty of corny stuff that I love, man, you know, and I hope people would be uh, forgiving to say if I love the first two flock of seagulls records or something like that, you know, and, Everyone likes what they like, and that's cool. And you know that's what makes life interesting. You know, uh, yeah, dude. I, you know, everyone's an elitist until like you're like the, the the you know your your neighborhood friend who listens to Disturbed like uh, actually has your back in a in a real life situation, and then all of a sudden yeah. people's music taste doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Uh, I, that's that's you know kind of a real life example for me. I'm just making the point. Like sometimes uh the people in your life don't all necessarily have the same playlists that you approve of you know it, it is what it is yeah man. totally man it's you know like it, that's what makes life interesting though everyone's different you know and it's like that's that's the coolest thing about life <sighs> yeah dude um yes all right so i, I just wanted to ask because that's something that i i find myself in with doing the podcast early on more so when i was like you know kind of like figuring out my way with this podcast what kind of content we want to do and what's the format and i said you know i got to a point where not reviewing anything we're recommending stuff oh you know we only talk yeah. about something like if i ever you know i i try to make it really jokey and really cornballing and self-deprecating if i want to crack on anyone else in the scene or any trends or things i see going on in the scene and i and i've even had things where i give people the opportunity to come on the podcast if i kind of you know make make a joke at, at some someone's expense somehow accidentally like i i try to be fair across the board man because you do you, you know, you got to respect your platform and, and your listeners um, at a certain point. Uh, but but get, getting back to you, 
Um, with Anodyne, you guys are active for several years, like I said, through the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, did you? I know you guys definitely played a lot. I actually feel like, now maybe I'm, I'm bugging here, but I think that my old band, Biolich, may have played a show with you guys in a, in a, ba- in a basement in upstate New yep. York. Somewhere, I can't remember the town, but it was definitely Biolich and Ken Mode, I think, was on that bill. Ken Mode, if I, I want to say American Heritage. Yep, that sounds about right, yeah. And there was like a real, these guys were doing the, the scenester big hair tight jeans thing at the time. They were called Dead Dead Death. And they had a TV in the basement playing stuff. It was like a weird all day long basement party show. But um, uh, yeah, dude, and, it, and it's funny because that was, that had to be maybe 2002 or three, I would imagine. Yeah. It, was, it was early oh, yeah, on. Definitely. Uh, and Ken Mode still doing do, doing their thing nowadays, man. Um, I, I don't I don't know about American Heritage, but that's a cult band that people should should check out. But Ken Mode's still out there, um, very very busy nowadays. Yeah. So with Anodyne, I know you guys did that, but were you guys getting out there and doing a, a lot of touring? Uh, you know, play, playing fests of any kind. What what was the live situation with Anodyne? Yeah, we toured all the time actually, and it was like mostly that kind of thing, DIY shows, and uh, you know we. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to play some fests, you know, like uh, Crazy Fest was like when that was a thing. That was in like Louisville. That was, you know, kind of a, a bigger deal. When like Hatebreed played that and like Locust and Andrew WK, I think, was like the headliner for that one the day we played and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But like, you know, we were like, like I said, a footnote in that world. Like it wasn't, um, yeah, we had some fans and like people like some of the records, but like, you know, that band was, it was an uphill battle the whole time, really, you know, and, and uh, once again, it's like that thing where it's like, you're either, you know, you're doing it because you love the adventure and the creativity and the freedom to do what you want to do. And if you're doing it because you want like, you know, adulation for people or like money or that's just the wrong reasons to get into any of this stuff, really. You just got to do it because you like, you know, living on Seven Eleven food and <laughs> driving all night, you know, across the country. And that's got to be your jam. You got to love that. And then, oh, yeah, we get to play shows. You know, that's like, you know, that's it. And the whole point is to do your set and express yourself, you know, go out there and live for that time. You get to, like, be 100% the person you are. You know, that's like the purest form of like who you are is like when you're expressing yourself complete with complete freedom like that and that's that was pretty much the whole vibe of that band was just like you know we're we're probably like not going to make any money or have any real lasting impact on anything but the moments that we get to do these things is like the critical part of this whole thing and uh yeah it's it's like uh you know kind of that that was the whole vibe. That's why we did it. That's why I did it. I mean, I don't know how the other guy, why the other guys did it, but that's why I did it. I just wanted to be out on the road. I didn't want to be home. I didn't want to like have a boring life. I just wanted to like see things. You know, we got to go to Europe. We got to like experience that. Got to meet a bunch of great people. Some of my best friends in the world I met through music, and you know, that's really what it's all about. It's like it's a lifestyle. It's not really like a. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, we're doing this because we're on this press cycle or, you know, whatever. You know, it's like those people don't understand why bands do these things. They don't they think that 
you know, it's a business. It's not a business. It's a lifestyle and it's, it's a pursuit, you know, and it's a passion and it's like you, you, you either it's in your blood and you do it for that reason, or you should just stay home, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, there's definitely a lot to, lot to be said, uh, a lot said there, man. I, I don't think I could say it better myself. And as you grow older, um, yeah, people do this for different reasons and, um, you know that that's what makes it hard too, because there's maybe maybe you can or can't relate to this. Um, you know, I found in my experience nowadays you have to switch out bandmates a lot because as we grow older too, man, as we get into our thirties and forties, people have children, people get married, people's careers call, and then there's there's certain people who you still want to get in a van and do it. You still want to you know dedicate as much of your time and, and energy and and everything these bands. And there's other people who you can't. It, it could it literally it could literally be your best friend from when you were a kid, but if you if you have two different kind of paths in terms of what you want to dedicate your time and energy and your finances to in life, that's just it, man. You know, it can't be personal. It just has to be. This is this is this is you know, we, someone's weekend hobby can't also be someone's um like legacy that they're living for. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. You know, and you know, as I grow older too, it's like I understand the limitations of everything, and and that's why like um. You know, even even if you have members that just make the records with you and we have a guy who plays live and, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to do this nowadays, especially with like, you know, people living in different parts, different cities and different states and whatnot. Um, you know, as much as I hate the Internet, it's like it has done a lot of great things. And one of those things is enabling people to collaborate from different parts of the world or different parts of the state or different cities or whatever. Now it's like. You don't have to all be in the practice space at the same time to be productive. You know, you can share files and, you know, do this sort of stuff remotely, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, not to, I don't want to harp on this, but uh, you just brought to mind a question I've asked a few guests um, about back in the day and about how much the internet has changed things, technology has changed things. You were talking before about violence at shows in the 90s, something I, I asked another recent guest. With the proliferation of surveillance cameras and everybody having a smartphone in their pocket and apps like Instagram and TikTok where everyone's inclined to record, you know, things going on around them, do you think that that is why shows are not as dangerous as they once were? There's a man. There's, I have so many ideas about all that stuff. I I just think that, um, like, extreme music is the lack of a better term become a lot more accessible to people. And uh, it's not just like these outsiders that are into the music anymore. It's like people who will find out about these things, look at the, you know, they'll be gravitating towards it from some, you know, social media aspect, like they're in some group or whatever, and they, you know, find out about music and that's great. That's cool. I mean, I, I like that people like music and like to find out about stuff, but, but that, outsider like sketchy element that used to be present in extreme music is kind of not not really there as much because of that because you can you know be safe in your home and find out about these things but back back in the 80s and 90s you had to like go to like generation records or you know bleaker bobs or something like that or the you know record store at cvs or something and, and like find out about stuff on the street, basically in, in the, in the wild, you know, mm -hmm. you had to go to the places that were challenging to get through from 
to from the suburbs like where I lived, you know, and like where you 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 grew up, you have to go into the city or some bad neighborhood to like check out these things, and that obstacle is no not really present for a lot of people anymore. Which is like like I said, it's not a bad thing; it's just different, you know. Now it's like you could just go on Instagram and find out about all these different bands. You can every, you have equally the same access to like Taylor Swift as you do to a band like Sulphur Aeon or like Dead Congregation or something like that. Like yeah, you can yeah. listen to a Taylor Swift song and then you can listen to Deicide. You don't have to like go into a sketchy neighborhood to find a record store that carries like Legion or something like that, you know? Yeah, and the algorithm will literally bring you to like gore noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll find like the most yeah. like granular, like, you know, subgenres based on what you you like and you'll just go deeper and deeper into the hole, you know. Yeah. It's it's wild to talk to like kids in their early twenties who are into noise and experimental stuff and how quickly they they went from like slipknot to, you know, gore grind in under a day, you know what I mean? On, on that's a good thing. Really. I mean I I, I none of this is bad per se. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and just for the record, Slipknot is sick, dude. Like I, I, I like, I like will never say a bad thing about Slipknot. I they I don't like their getups necessarily, but the band is is fucking sick, man. I cannot say anything bad about that band. I don't own any of their records. I've never seen them live, but I remember one time like I talked so much shit about Slipknot, and we were on tour, and one of the dudes that we were on like a bigger tour, and one of the guys used to work for them like as a like a, a stage guy and he we were in the van and he was driving and he put on this record like sick like blast beats and like you know intense vocals and stuff and he's like oh i'm like oh this is cool and he's like oh yeah you like this huh i'm like yeah yeah this is this is fucking sick man he's like oh yeah this is the second it's, it was the second slipknot record and i was just like totally i can never ever say a bad thing about that band ever again uh, yeah i I'm in this. I'm in the same boat, and I, I I think that probably would have been Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Iowa. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Similar experience. A friend of mine, because at that point, and even back then, because I owned their first album when it came out. I used to listen to it when I was in high school. By the time they put out Iowa, I was so entrenched in gore grind and death metal, and at that, I was probably like 18 or 19. I you know I wasn't trying to hear anything commercial. Uh, you yeah. know, I was, you know, I was, I was the teenage elitist at that point still, sure. but, but when somebody played me, Iowa, I was like, all right, they got it. You know what I mean? Like it's, but it, it was also a weird turning point for extreme music where it was almost for me, it wasn't necessarily about if somebody could, could, I hated, I hate admitting this on the podcast, but if, if they couldn't rec- write and record a great metal album, but whether or not it was somehow subversive and under the radar a little bit, because I always wanted to keep my mind to what was the underground, where were the tapes, where was the, where was the band that only had a hundred tapes pressed to something that I could order in the mail? You know what I mean? It was for, 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 <laughs> for some reason to me, it became more about, you know, I still wanted to listen to good quality music, but I wanted to work for it a little bit harder if that makes sense i don't know man like i can't justify not getting into slipknot you know other than that yeah i mean i it was more like a like a music quality thing because like i still don't own their records and i you know i i don't i would never really pay to see them live but like i can never say that they're bad band because they are pretty sick you know what i mean and like (laughs) I would be disingenuous if I uh, was like, oh, yeah, that band's, I never listened to them. It's like that one, for that whole drive, we listened to that entire album, and I was, like, stoked. It was awesome, you know? But I, I never went back to it, though, you know? 
definitely good music for a uh, like a tour, you know, van van ride, man. That's when a lot of people's um, I, I don't know if I would say guilty pleasures come out, but that's when you know a lot. Of, that's when a lot of people the walls break down between what you're going to play in a car ride with your friend and what you're not. You know, if it's your turn to drive on a long drive, you might just say fuck it, I man. I, you know, me personally, I might break out the Queensrÿche on you guys if you know. Oh, dude, you you <laughs> not go wrong with Queensrÿche, man. Love Queensrÿche. There, I just saw they're touring again, doing um, I think I think the self-titled and Warning or something like that, and 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 they're with Armored Saint next May. Dude, Armored Saint, John yeah. Bush. Yeah, that 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 okay. that tour's happening next next May. It's hitting uh, New York by me, man. People should check that out if if they're into that, man. Definitely, I would go. I, I saw them last time they came around New York. I've I've seen Queensrÿche with Todd Latore like twice, dude. He's He's the man. I'm sold, man. I would, I would still, I would still go to see Jeff Tate, but more on like a spectator level kind of thing, just to see what's going on with him. But I, I, right. I'm, I'm sold on the new lineup, man. Um, but listen, Mike, if we bring up Queensrÿche on this podcast, sometimes it goes crazy for a long time, <laughs> and we got to put it on Patreon because we haven't even really gotten into tombs yet. Let me ask you one question about Anodyne before we push forward. Um, uh, with this question, that is where you first, uh, if, I, if I got this all right, that's where you first start working with Josh Scott and Joel Stallings, who would go on to be, and are still in to this day, the band Radiation Blackbody. Um, looking back at your time in Anodyne with them, my question is, like, I just wanted to see if you could, you know, maybe reflect, does it make sense to you? Could you see that these guys would go on to be in a two-man band together, which was unconventional when they started doing it, uh, and be as prolific and long-lived as they have been, just the two of those guys working together? Did I get that right, that those yeah, guys were in Anodyne not, with you? Yeah, it totally makes sense, okay. but also there was a band between that called Defeatist that, uh, yeah. Josh and Joel was, were in with, uh, Aaron, who was in, uh, Funeral Reach now as well as probably some other bands i'm not remembering and aaron used to be in uh the, the uh death grind band uh calibus from uh from rochester i had aaron and, uh, I, I had aaron on um a few months ago on on the show um we did a whole breakdown of everything and his his label and all that yep yeah yeah the, 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 uh, i forgot the name of his label it puts out a bunch of stuff but yeah radiation black body makes sense uh that you know, I know that back in the day when we were playing together and touring and driving around this country, you know, Josh is always big into like, and Joel with bands like Ruins, like these kind of Japanese, like, uh, you know, techie kind of bands. And, uh, you know, Joel, like Joel could play, and I mean this in all sincerity, drums in any band if he ever wanted to be like a session guy or like, you know, play in Emperor or something like that. Like he could play anything in my opinion the dude's like one of the most incredible drummers i've ever had a chance to play with and uh you know he really is someone that pushes it in a, in a way that um i'm just it's cool that they're making the music that they're making you know yeah um i, I just wanted to ask you you know with that that kind of unique perspective you might have had on on that band's trajectory but anodyne um i guess somewhere between 2004 and 2000 six that that band uh parts ways you you and and you and you also end up moving to new york somewhere in that well we we were living in new york I, we moved to okay. me and josh were living in boston and we moved to new york in like uh maybe like 2000 or something like that and uh the drummer we had didn't follow us down and that's when we found joel and um i'm not sure if you know rich hall but he's the guy who actually put me in touch with uh with joel rich rich hall's like you know queen's finest man you know, 
he's a, he's a, a legend in uh, Queens, New York. And right. uh, he used to book shows at CBs and he's the man about town, man. He, you know, is a guy who knows people, you know, <laughs> and it's like, he, um, he actually, he used to book shows on Long Island back in like the nineties too. And that's how I met Rich. And, um, we just stayed friends all these years. And when we moved to New York, we were looking for a drummer and he connected me with Joel and somehow he met him. And that's how that band, the, the New York lineup, the three piece lineup of that band sort of solidified. And that was like most of the traveling and most of the real shit was done with those, with the three of us really. Okay. Um, and then, so, all right, so, so you guys were in New York for a few years, but that, that band broke up and then you formed Tombs, right? Yeah, there was like a, a year that I did this other band uh, called Versoma that was like, um, you know, uh, we put out one record on Robotic Empire and uh, it was like, it's the record to me sounds like a mixtape of like two different bands. <laughs> it's like, um, it's it's cool. It was fun. It was like something that was like a project and then we ended up like doing something we ended up i think we played like 15 shows maybe um you know it, it was cool but very short-lived and probably um allowed everyone to do things later on that were cooler than that band you know what i mean like the other guy from the band jamie gets who um he used to play like golden sky and he was in turmoil for a while and he went on to form this band called gods and queens which was more of what he wanted to do and then I formed Tombs. The, the day we broke up that band, I went right, the, literally the following week, I started writing Tombs material and recording, recording demos and practicing. So it was this kind of stepping stone, I think, between you know the anodyne years and then what I ended up doing later on with, with Tombs. Okay, man. And, and having moved to New York City uh, in around 2000 and worked in the extreme music scene uh the type of music that you've you've always been doing over the years i mean you've seen like the complete gentrification of of brooklyn the the, the hipster thing and nowadays it's something completely i'm not even sure what it is nowadays i, know, I don't know what it is either bro <laughs> it's i know like it's, completely different. it's a lot more accommodating uh, for 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 metal in a lot of ways, um, you know the St. Vitus Bar. There's there's you know the 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 scene. There's more people coming to shows and, and you know things like that. I just want to get your perspective on that though. You've seen the the underground music scene, the metal, hardcore, whatever you want to call it, scene in New York City change quite a bit uh, uh, over the years, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, before St. Vitus opened, there was like nowhere to do shows, nowhere to do extreme metal shows. There was like you know, CBs had closed down and there was like a couple other venues that were, you know, people were promoting stuff there, but there wasn't like that go-to place anymore. And then when Vitus opened up, that became like, you know, the spot, you know, and I, I know Artie Shepard from before that. And I remember when Artie, he's a Long Island guy, right? Well, Artie. Yeah. 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 He, um, we were, he was talking about opening up this, this metal bar in Greenpoint way down Manhattan Avenue. And I was like, who the hell is going to fucking come out here, man? You know, it's like yeah. at that point, the G train didn't really connect to anything. And like, you know, it was kind of like remote. And, you know, I was living in Greenpoint at the time too. And it was like desolate. Like there was just nothing there really. And, but once again, what do I know? <laughs> like St. Vitus became like, 
spot you know people all over the world know about that place now and it's awesome and it's great and it's like it kind of saved like extreme music in some ways back then because now it was run by people that understood the genre understood what bands to book and what local bands to put on those bills with these touring bands and you know they were like uh fans of that style of music and the whole aesthetic of the bar fit with the aesthetic of the music and the scene and Kind of like, I remember back then, like there was definitely like a little mini scene around that place, which was cool. There was a lot of bands that just, you know, came and went over the years. And uh, now it's awesome because there's way more venues. Like even, you know, the Kingsland opened up. There's like all those spots out in Bushwick. There's like uh, that place in Queens, which I can't remember the name of. It's in Ridgewood. I saw you guys there. I saw um, saw Artificial Brain and Imperial Triumphant play there. It's like this place in Queens. Oh, what was the, uh, then uh, this? I, I want to. I want to say Los Picos or so, but that's not. Lo, it's like it was Le, not Le Poison Rouge. No, Le Poison Rouge no, was another. Po- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is, but it's like something, something that kind of is along. Something like that. Yeah. Some. some name look, like that. Trans Picos. Was it Trans Picos? I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that. But Damn it's something it. like that. This is bothering <laughs> me. I, I know exactly the show you're talking about. This is bothering me. But okay, let okay, go on, man. Yeah, and. So now, I mean, there's like mad spots that you can put, you can throw a show anywhere. It seems like out yeah. in Bushwick, like right yeah. up there, like the Meadows, you know, like Brooklyn Monarch is like a, I saw Deicide play there. There's like, yeah, it's like a 600 capacity room. You got like smaller spots, you know, there's all kinds of spots now to do shows and it's awesome, you know, but like the city just doesn't have that same grimy like luster that it had back when I, I mean, I live in Jersey now, so it's like, you know, a little bit. I'm a, I'm like a, you know, I'm a bridge and tunnel guy now when I go into the city. You know, I'm not part of like the Brooklyn vibe anymore. You know, but it's um, it's just a little different. You know, like you were saying. You know, like it's um, it's it's definitely uh, way expensive. Like you got you got to like save up when you want to go into New York to to for the, a night out now. You know, oh, between yeah. like the tolls yeah. and parking or getting a bottle of water or something like that. You know, it's like $8 <laughs> for like a Pellegrino yeah, or something, dude. you know, it's like, it's insane, you know? Um, but you know, there's tons of bands, you know, there's, there's lots of bands now, which is great. And there's lots of places to play, which is always good. And there's a lot, there's always great tours going through. Um, I mean, I saw Goat Horror a few weeks ago, played Vitus. It's like this whole year was like a huge, awesome year of shows you know it's all cannibal corpse twice in brooklyn you know it was like incredible you know it's just that didn't exist really in like 2000 there was nothing like that really you know and now it's it's like booming in a lot of ways it's cool back, back then you had to hope that you could get out to bb kings every once in a while in the city yeah, to see yeah, like, yeah. yeah i saw emperor there that was it was yeah. like that was like but you felt like you weren't in the right place though you know it was, it like, was you, weird you go to see yeah. emperor just and you're like this is not really the kind of spot that i should be at to watch this show you know what i mean but now it's like it's it's cool now i I think it's a great healthy scene that's happening in new york right now it felt like going to see a death metal band at like like universal studios or something (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) sad to say vitus man we're glad they're they're doing what they do um uh, but listen tombs um you actually start I, if you didn't start it with him, but very early on you worked with a young Justin Ennis drummer, 
who some of our listeners might know from his work more recently with Ulthar, Mutilation Rights, and other bands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we uh, we started the band together. Yeah, yeah. He must have been kind of young back then, because I remember him from Mutilation Rights, which was a few years after after Tombs started up. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think he was like. Let's see. He was probably about twenty seven, maybe or twenty eight. So yeah, he was like a younger guy at the time, definitely. Oh, okay, and he was he was on your first album, uh, Winter Hours. Yeah, the first record on Relapse. Yeah. All right, so so take me through working with Relapse in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, you know, all due respect to Relapse Records, but Relapse Records back then was kind of still maybe riding off of that big big explosion of the two thousands with the you know genre breaking bands. We'll just say and and that, and that sort of thing. Take me through working with them and what that was like putting out your first album on Relapse. Well, my my um, my connection with those guys goes back to the 90s really like when anodyne was around um gordon conrad who uh has been worked at relapse on and off for like the last several decades and uh and he figures later on too <laughs> into uh our relationship with season of mist too but he um you know he was like my uh my 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 guy over there and i was still i always i was really i still am good friends with a lot of people that work at that label and uh you know, once tunes was starting to like solidify, and once again, like that that band, I, I started doing it because I just wanted to make music. I didn't. It was not like, oh yeah, we're gonna like make a demo and try to shop it or whatever fucking people do with their music. You know, I just wanted to make stuff that I, I liked, and you know, the guy that uh, my friend Greg, who released the last Anodyne album on Level Plane he was working at relapse and i remember sending him copies of the demo that we had like just mp3s and he's like oh i want i want to play this for gordon you know and i was like ah, i don't know man i don't know if this really fits but that was kind of how we all started working together was gordon it was like oh this is you know mike's new band and and then we just it just kind of went from there it was just like they came out to see us play in philly a few times and um and then we ended up working with them for what three albums we put on relapse we got winter hours path to totality savage gold and then the ep uh all empires fall yeah those those are the three lps and one ep and then like a collection of stuff pre-relapse like this they had some recordings before winter hours that they collected and put out yeah all right, man. I was stoked. I always thought they were a great label. I mean, Incantation, you know, Neurosis, you know, Mortician was on Relapse, like great, great bands, you know, uh, Dying Fetus, you know, uh, Skinless, like how many great bands were on Relapse? You know, they were like incredible, you know, they still are, you know, I don't really, I mean, Pig Destroyer, you know, they're still on Relapse. I still remember getting those uh, thick relapse catalogs that were like oh, yeah. part magazine with interviews and stuff too for in the nineties, man. I mean, yeah, amazing. And it also opened my mind to because they would have like distribution stuff from uh, from like real nitty gritty underground bands in in there too, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, that was a cool, one of the coolest things is going to their office that was like not where they're at now, but back the old office was like you know you'd show up on tour and like playing philly and they're like oh stop by the office we'll like you know take you guys out for dinner, lunch or whatever and we'd stop by you would leave with like a like a box of like demos or new releases by them and then you'd find like 
you know, stuff that they had in the catalog or like t-shirts and things like that. And it was always pretty, pretty cool. Like there was, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was just cool. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that it's just, it's just cool to show up, hang out, you know, get some free records, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds great, man. Um, well, let me ask you about this because Tombs has an extensive catalog, and just in case there are any listeners who may be diving into Tombs for the first time, uh, maybe haven't heard everything that's on the menu, I-, I wanted to ask you quickly about Savage Gold, because I felt like that was an album maybe the death metal people, you know, that's that might be a good starting point. I don't know. You you know, you can agree with me or not, but I want, but that was also an album where you were kind of starting up with a, with a different lineup. And you also recorded in Florida with Eric Rutan for the first time, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Savage Gold, if you're in the death metal, is probably like the starting spot because like the other, the other two, the first two albums were more of like, um, we're kind of playing around more like atmospheric sort of stuff. Like, uh, I mean, I know, I know what I, in my mind what I was thinking. I don't know what it sounds like though, but like in my mind, it was like kind of like this French, like uh, Amosaurs or uh, you know that sort of thing with like this washy cavern sort of sound. And uh, so yeah, maybe not your taste if you want brutal like death metal. And I'm not saying we're a brutal death metal band by any stretch of the imagination, but like on um, on Savage Gold that's when we had more like the blast beats and like the tremolo picking and, and more of like a, you know, death metal, extreme metal mixed with like black metal kind of thing. And, uh, you know, there's always been a black metal, the black metal presence in the bands, but just expressed like in different ways. And I think probably the move over the years has been to be more extreme actually with each, each record. I think we got more like more extreme in some ways. But yeah, working with Rutan, like I've always admired Eric Rutan. I mean, he's, you know, from the tri-state area. Like, if you're from New York or New Jersey, right away, I'm already like, all right, cool. You're, you're like, I'm gonna check, check this out. Like, if you're a band from the area, like I'm already halfway your fan already, you know. And, you know, Rutan, obviously, uh, Ripping Corpse, Legends, you know, legendary, you know. And then, of course, his work with Morbid Angel. And then, you know, hate eternal. You know, I mean, obviously by then he's living in Florida, but still, he's a he's a Jersey guy. And um, I've always, when he started doing records with uh, Goat Whore, that's when I was like, you know, maybe this is the right guy for us because my biggest gripe with the first two records was like the drums didn't sound extreme enough. A lot of it was getting the definition was getting lost and all the washy guitars and everything. I just wanted a guy, uh, someone to tighten us up, like as far as like the production goes and not just have a show up with like, you know, stacks of amps and effects pedals and, you know, and just make it a big mess, which is what the first two records kind of sounded like in my opinion. Um, so yeah, sur- sure enough, that's, he was the guy, you know, and, uh, not only that, he, I mean, Eric, it pushes you on the performance level that um, in a way that I've never been pushed before in a studio. And um, I really appreciated that. And, uh, you know, some people can't really, you know, I mean, it's not for, I love Eric Rutan. Like he's an incredible talent and a great guy. And, you know, I, I just texted him today, actually. I mean, he's an excellent person, you know, and um, 
you know, you, you better show up to the recording session prepared. You know, you can't show up there not knowing how to play your parts and not being well rehearsed and, uh, and working with, and I thought I, I thought I knew what preparation was before I start before that record, but that session transformed my entire approach to recording. And, um, I realized like, you know, okay, I have to be more prepared in the future. And, uh, and it's just an inspiration, man, to work with that guy. And he's one of the best around, man. And like, you know, all of his, it's, it's incredible seeing him in Cannibal Corpse. And, uh, even though I, I mean, Cannibal Corpse are legends and, but seeing him on stage with them pushes it just a little bit further over the top for me personally. So I'm like, you know, just a, a huge fan of Cannibal and just a huge fan of Rattan. And I just, those two entities together on one stage is incredible to me. Yeah, get, getting a fill-in member for a, a legacy band like Cannibal Corpse can be tricky, but that was like that was like when they used to put Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, totally. It, Absolutely. It was, yeah. like, he brings his own... There was people there that probably... there Like, all due respect to CC, but there was probably people that are like, listen, I've seen Cannibal Corpse a bunch of times. I'm staying home. Oh, shit, Eric Rutan is there? I'm, I'm going to go this time. You know what I mean? There's there's Eric Rutan fans you know, that he brings in with his own you know brand. Um, absolutely absolutely uh so well so so kind of moving forward just a couple other questions i wanted to get in about the catalog all empires fall in 2016 the ep that um the same way you kind of came in i think with a little bit more of a death metal swing on on um uh savage gold all empires fall it almost sounds like you guys are really leaning into the like you said not to say that death metal and black metal haven't always been there in some way but it seems like you're leaning more into the black metal more and more um with uh all empires fall and that seems to be a thing that stays with the band through the next several releases is that fair to say yeah i mean like in the sort of the philosophy of the band you know, and, and the kind of, um, you know, the whole objective of the band was definitely uh, seated within like the, you know, black metal and like, you know, dark sort of ideas, you know, and, and philosophies like in that nature, you know, and I just think um, the same the same way like Gald's Beard is like a, a black metal record, but there's like clean singing on it. You know what I mean? That's how I felt personally with our music was like even though there's like these different elements that we're pulling from the spirit of the band is like definitely dark and like with this kind of like uh anti-life like anti just void of like feeling you know like underlying the whole vibe of the band and yeah maybe like sonically on all empires fall like it sounds more of like a there's like a definite black metal sound to it but in my mind, the philosophy and the whole objective of the band was exactly the same as it was from the first minute I started doing the band. Yeah, but just maybe the sound sort of became more interesting to me to make it sound like that, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I could see that. I mean, we still play some, we still play one or two songs from that record live. So, yeah, that obviously is, fits in well with the later material. Yeah, um, it definitely seems to set a precedent. And now here... Correct. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my like conspiratorial paranoia. 2016, All Empires Fall. 2017, The Grand Annihilation. First album on Metal Blade Records. 
Um, band is trimmed down to a three-piece from a five-piece on All Empires Fall, and there's this kind of Roman symbolism on the cover art of the Grand Annihilation, and it's just released a year after All Empires Fall. Is there some is there some art imitating life band commentating on itself thing going on there? Is there is there something in there? Well, not so much with the band, but more with like uh, observe like society and just like the crumbling of like mm. the Western world, and everything. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. Like it was uh, definitely the 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 phrase "All Empires Fall." I forgot what it came directly out of a book I was reading, and ah, damn, I can't remember the title. It's like I mean, this is back twenty almost ten years ago. I wrote this, but like it was um, it, that's this is how powerful that line was because it it actually became more significant to me than where I got it from. So that line hit me really hard. And maybe it was a Carl Edward Wagner Kane story that I was reading. That might have been it. And uh, I think there's, uh, all right, it's a song, uh, not a song. It's a, it's a short story called Two Suns Setting by Carl Edward Wagner. And it talks about like these older races, like giants basically becoming extinct and the rise of mankind. And that phrase was in that short story. And that is what inspired the title of that EP. And then just this meditation, because, you know, 2016 was a very pivotal year in the United States. And seeing this, like, crumbling of our society and, you know, the fall of Rome and all this stuff. Like, it took Rome, like, hundred, like, five, like, a thousand years to crumble into nothing. But that's, you look at the United States as this, like, you know, world power and now and i felt very much that it's on this decline you know and uh that's where all that symbolism came from like the roman helmet and all that sort of stuff fair enough man uh yeah unfortunately i think that's a common sentiment um nowadays on on a lot of different areas of the political spectrum i think everyone can agree things are definitely on a decline um yeah. uh so Mon- now, Monarchy of Shadows is the next. It's the next. Re- well, it's, it's the EP from 2020. There's about three years there, and Monarchy of Shadows is is the first EP with your new lineup that seems to have been a consistent lineup the last several years. Um, yeah, yeah. Be- before we get into that and give those guys credit where credits due, I just wanted to quickly ask you. Respectfully, you worked with Metal Blade Records for the Grand Annihilation in 2017. Um, and then you end up with, with Season of Mist several years later. Those are both very respectable labels. I just wanted to ask you to maybe um, uh, diplomatically compare and contrast uh, and, and uh, you know, say what, what maybe works better about one than the other for, for your situation. And also maybe just clear up a misconception that a younger or more inexperienced listener might have about, oh, you signed to either of these labels and, and you know, it's like winning the lottery or something like that, or your, your, your problems are solved. Yeah, well, definitely not. Your problems are definitely not solved by signing to a bigger label like that. But, um, I mean, you know, um, Metal Blade is, is like going to work for IBM or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, they're like, uh, it's, it's like, it's not just like a bunch of dudes like putting out records and, you know, assembling LPs in their living room. You know, it's like, you know, a corporation, you know, it's like a real thing, you know? And, and, uh, 
not to say relapse isn't or season of mist like they're all real things but metal blade is just a little bit on a different level in some ways mm-hmm. and um you know during that period of time like we got really good opportunities like we played at you know hellfest and you know ozfest and you know really great touring opportunities during that period but um the record we made for them all empires fall i feel within our catalog is more quality wise on the bottom of the spectrum if you ask me personally like i just don't think that record is a very good album i think that like the material is maybe weaker than some of the other stuff that we've done and um you know it's i think that translated into maybe a lack of enthusiasm by certain people and uh you know fair enough like I, I take full responsibility for not delivering something that people enjoy or thought was compelling in any way. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, but aside from all that, like, I, I don't think a band like tombs really should be on a label like metal blade. I mean, you got, you know, behemoth cannibal corpse, you know, great bands like black Dahlia murder, you know, goat Whore. Um, it's works for them, but I don't think that we have, the type of audience that would necessarily um, generate the type of uh, business that would warrant us to stay on a label like Metal Blade, really, you know, and and I'm comfortable with just like living out our life in the underground, really, you know, and that's totally where I think we belong, you know. Yeah, um, something I... You know, we talked before about how you know we we try not to try not to make fun of anybody or or disrespect anybody on the podcast because we have to worry about our own bands. I I do make fun of people from time to time without naming names. There's just some people that'll say things. And dude, I'm not. I work with some great labels for my bands that are extremely supportive. All of the members of my band work day jobs to support ourselves. That's kind of a given. That's just how it is. But there are some younger people, especially at shows, or maybe people who don't know how this thing works, and they have some misconceptions. And and um, yeah, I've 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 just heard heard some some things like you know like oh my uh um. It, it, I don't know something silly, you know, like like oh my, you know my my uncle, you know my uncle works for Amazon and he delivers to the to the Metal Blade office or whatever label or you know or like I know a guy who was a um a guy in a band was also a corrections officer as his job and and they they did something where some some artists came to the prison and talked to the guys. I'm just it's like that's not going to be how your band breaks through and gets signed to a, a label. You know what I mean, man? Like people think it's. In a way, it is about networking, but it's it's. I think that's a it's a skewed way if, if that's how you're thinking of it. You know, it's not just because you know somebody who knows somebody, and you objectively think that your band is good. You know what I mean? It's because of work that you can prove that you've been putting in. You have to have receipts for what you've done. Yeah, I mean that, that's basically it. You hit the nail on the head. It's like <laughs> you can't just like you know, oh, I bought a guitar today and I got myself a Line Six, you know, whatever, and. I made a demo, so could do me a favor, give this to to your buddy that works in the mailroom, and then you're gonna get like signed. It's like you got to go out there, you know, and earn your place in the hierarchy of everything. You know what I mean? And like at least like put the effort out there to do things. And you know, I mean, I'm not saying that Tunes is a good band or I'm any good at playing my instrument or singing or writing songs, but I can say with all confidence that I went out there and I busted my ass to like everything i have i i earned like i didn't take any shortcuts doing anything so any any anything that i received 
that might be positive from any of this stuff, there's hours, hundreds of hours that were put into doing this stuff, either writing or practicing or traveling, touring, playing shows, that sort of thing. Miles on the road, like all that stuff has been logged in and I got receipts for all that stuff. So it's like, you know, that's, I'm not saying we're good. I'm not saying we're any better than anybody. I'm not saying I'm even competent in what I do. I can just say that I put the time and effort into it and whatever I have, I earned. That's all I can really say about anything. Fair enough, man. Um, and maybe that's a good point to credit uh, some of the people you've been working with the last few years. Um, first of all, Drew Murphy has been playing bass uh, and providing vocals for the band, backing vocals, I guess, and in, 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 uh, or whatever you want to call it, additional vocals. Um, I know Drew going back several years uh, from when you know from Hammer Fight, and he and I, he and I were both session live members of Pyrexia for like one one week or two, yeah. like at the same random time. Yeah, it was it was it was funny. I think I I um I told him they were looking for somebody. Man, that was a little bit before he joined Tombs, probably. So, but he's. Um, he's dedicated, man. I know that guy's got a oh, yeah. good work ethic. You know what I mean, man. And and um, he uh, he's driven. You know what I mean. He's he's you know I just my personal you know having been on the road with him just a little bit. I was. He's driven and he's responsible, man. It seems like a good addition to the crew. He's a great guy too. I mean, we you know it's like the lineup right now is literally the sickest lineup of the band, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Even though it's taken us like however many years to get to this point, and. Everyone is like, I'm, I'm the worst musician in the band, straight up. Like, I acknowledge that I can't play as good as any of these guys. And, like, you know, I'm the oldest and the worst player. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like that's how it goes. But I I rely heavily on Drew and Ninja, who plays drums in every extreme metal band in New Jersey. He is playing in tombs for a lot since 2017, you know. And great players, man. Guys who just, like bring it with every level you know and and they're just responsible guys some of the most solid dudes i know and uh like legit friends too man you know i mean we've been through a lot over the last few years you know and uh yeah it's it's just it's great showing up to practice with these guys and going on tour and playing shows and all that sort of stuff yeah um yeah ninja i (laughs) I didn't even know his name was Justin until today when I was doing the research. I've always been introduced to him as Ninja. I've known, I mean, I've been acquainted with the guy for years, and we just played with um, Putrescension. Uh, oh, yeah. Reeking War played a show with them over the summer, man. Uh was when I last saw him. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's numerous albums to his credit with Collapsia, Abassinate especially, maybe for listeners of this podcast. Uh, might might remember Abassinate from, from back in the day. Um uh, definitely a guy with his own uh, uh, credits, and you were also working with um, Matt Medeiros. Yeah, uh, Matt was in the band for a that, while. That position, though, the second guitar player, that's been like a fluid spot for the beginning of the band. Yeah. Like we, we've had a bunch of different guys coming in and out of the band. Matt, Matt, who also went out on tour with Black Anvil last year too. So, you know, Matt's like his his gear is like we still all share a practice space, but Matt's doing different things right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been acquainted with Matt too since back in the uh, the artificial brain days, and I do see him around every once in a while. I got to get him and and Ninja on the show. The, like I always say, there's a long list of people I want to get on the show, and I understand you've been working with Todd Stern recently. Yeah, Todd. Todd has been playing guitar on tour. Um, you know, the last few recordings we did was just it was just the three of us, but the touring setup we have a second guitar player. 
Todd's been doing that, uh, playing that role. But now it's uh, Dan Dan Boy from uh, Dan Higgins from Peach Ascension is uh, he did the, he did the last this earlier the stuff we did this past year and he's he's going to be playing guitar on the um, the upcoming tour that we got in February and uh, Todd's going to be out with uh, he's gonna he's on the road all the time so he's got his own stuff that he's doing right now but you know between we all have gear in the in the same practice space and it's like this kind of collaborative communal sort of thing you know and I'm sure Todd will probably play on our new album will probably be on stage with us again at some point and maybe you know Dan and Todd and myself will all play guitar on the record somehow it's just like a vibe like that you know which is is pretty sick you know just everyone kind of like working together you know yeah, well, I mean, I think the listeners can tell by now. I, I'm acquainted with pretty much all of your new lineup, um, uh, and and it's it, it, it just seems like you have a really good you know working group right now, guys. That I mean, I mean, guys that I would all welcome into any of my bands. I'll put it that way. So I'm I'm excited that you're, um, you know, a, a band that's seen so many people come and go for whatever reasons over the years. Seems like you got a pretty solid crew right now. Um, and that being said, this might be a good time to plug your latest release, which was the. Uh, the Beast of Gravesand, um, which is a live album recorded at the Chasm in Pleasantville, New Jersey, uh, in September 2020. I got that right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, we recorded that um, during the pandemic because there was like a live video, like broadcast kind of thing. And uh, yeah, we performed live. It was video. It was record. It was filmed. And the audio is this is the audio that came out. It's just like this live thing which we did, and we, you know we multi-tracked it but everything's live on that so which is cool because like you know you don't really it's like it goes back to when you listen to like all the world's a stage by rush or something like that where like oh shit these guys are actually performing this stuff for real you know or like those rollins band live recordings where it's like hell yeah these guys can play you know and it's on it's rare that you capture a live band playing well so uh I feel like, you know, I think we did a pretty good job on this recording. So uh, it was cool to put it out, you know, just did, is this a digital release? And, um, you know, but the thing before that was uh, a proper release was uh, Ex Oblivion, which was like yes. a, an EP of a, an original song, like an ambient track and like a couple of covers, we did a Gigi Allen cover, and Motorhead and stuff like that. That was on Season of Mist. Yeah, man. Um, and you told me, I think behind the scenes that you guys are working on a new album coming up. Oh, yes, we are. We got probably about half of it written, uh, working on demos, uh, looking to record probably late winter, you know, and trying to, you know how it goes, probably come out in early 2025. Lucky if it comes out at the end of 2024. Fair enough, man. I, yeah, sometimes it's just up to the... Um... Uh, when you can book the time and and book the and when the label can put it out and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, that being said, quickly, I know Sanford Parker did the uh, audio engineering for that live recording. Yeah, he mixed all that stuff. Yeah, Sanford. Uh, he also worked on the uh, All Empires Fall EP. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, I just want well, I just want to ask you the same way I asked about Eric Rutan, maybe if you have any reflections on working with him because he's someone who the listeners might might be familiar with a lot. He's he's worked on a lot of uh, different recordings and bands over the years. Yeah, Unearthly Trance comes to mind right away. Of course, which yeah. uh, you, know, you know, Ryan, your bandmate, was obviously a big part of that band. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, Sanford's cool. He's a friend, really great guy, talented engineer. Um, you know, he was more hands-on on the uh, All Empires Fall release. Like when the audio, this live thing, we just basically recorded it ourselves and sent him the tracks to mix. So, uh, yeah, we didn't really, uh, you know, it wasn't like we were interacting a whole lot. It was mostly just like emails and stuff like that. Like everything was pretty much, we didn't overdub anything. It just, here's the tracks, make it sound sick. Hmm. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough, man. That's a name that just sticks out, um, you know, in, in the notes. Uh, and and you know, going forward, you've been very generous with your time, and I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. Um, be, before we close out, I want to ask for your recommendations, like I always do at the end of an episode. But I also um, don't want to neglect to plug two other projects that you've been involved in in this time that you've been doing tombs all these years. You haven't had many other. Uh, uh, proper recordings and releases with other projects, but I noticed you have Scorpion Throne, which is a project that you released a 2022 self, self-titled self EP with. Um, that has kind of a gothic feel with still kind of a death metal, black metal thing going on in the arrangement. It's very atmospheric. It seems... Um, and I don't know if this is the appropriate word or not, but it seems, the word I wrote is it seems more intimate than Tombs. It seems like people are getting a different side of you. Yeah, I think so. That's like I wrote that was really like that whole thing was put together like a one man band, basically. Like I recorded all that like in during the pandemic, you know, I programmed drums like uh, I played all the instruments, but then I wanted to actually make make it a band. So uh, Andrew Hernandez, who played in tombs on, uh, you know, from Path to Totality up until Savage Gold, uh, he and I had always wanted to work again together. And um you know, he's, he's a family guy now. He's got two kids and married, so the, the road is not for him anymore. So, But we still want to make music together. So I enlisted him to play drums on it. And then uh, Mike and Galvez of uh, Replicant, um, Future Ascension, you know, he's a guy that's been, you know, he's a, he's a good friend too. And um, he played bass on it. So it's a proper band recording uh, by a band that probably won't ever play live. But... Uh, it's something that uh, I want to definitely make more music with the, these guys this coming year. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much that. It's just it's only out on cassette and on Bandcamp right now, and uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, some project very personal. You know, there's like you know, it was written in in a very bad time for everyone, but specifically, I was going through some serious like personal shit during that period of time, and uh, and I think it kind of shines through a little bit on the on the on the, the material you know it's just but i am planning on doing more of that stuff if anyone cares or wants to check it out definitely worth listening and if i describe that as um very very atmospheric death and black kind of kind of metal that leans into gothic territory i would describe begotten sons as you leaning even further um into that kind of gothic post-punk um uh, uh dark rock realm maybe that i i don't really have the experience to, to even categorize it but but um it definitely seems like you're leaning way more into the gothic rock genre with uh begotten sons if you just want to touch on that and talk about that for a minute yeah actually that that's the drummer that was in otis plays drums on that and um it's interesting it's like the two of us he came he came to one of our shows in providence and we just started like I hadn't seen him in decades, like literally at least 15 years. I haven't seen this dude. And then he, 
lives, he's living in Providence and he just shows up at one of the shows and we started hanging out and talking. And I was like, Hey, we should fuck around. You know, we should like do some music. And I wrote those four songs and, um, he was the perfect guy to play on it. And, uh, we just got together and did it because I dreamed it up, did it. And now it's a thing. But yeah, I was thinking more like something different than like any of the other things I was doing. And like, you know, I've always been a fan of like Paradise Lost and like, you know, typo negative and stuff like that. And uh, I wanted to try doing that sort of keeping that in mind and writing my own material with that tone to it. You know, and it's like tone, it's tuned a lot lower and it's slower and a little bit more like, you know, emotive, I guess, you know, so that's, and that's another thing. I'm already working on more material for that project too. So that's something that's going to, you know, there'll be something out there probably in 2024 from that project as well. Okay, man. Yeah, I definitely wanted to get that in there. It's definitely worth a listen for fans of Tombs. Or um, just people who you know who listen to to that listen to music that's more on that end of the of uh, the um, the the metal and extreme music spectrum. Um, I do want to remind the listeners again that Tombs is going to be touring with Profanatica and Nunslaughter this February, so you should have plenty of time to to look that up on social media and see where that's coming to your town. Hopefully, that's a pretty cult tour, man. You must be psyched about that. I mean, that's all all underground right there. You know, dude, I can't even tell you how excited I am about it. It's like I never thought. I, it, it's like a, a dream really to, to tour a band like Pro Fanatica. you know, and, and yeah. Slaughter too, like two darkest like bands, like American black metal bands. And it's just like awesome. You know, I mean, Pro Fanatica went through a long period of time where they weren't even active, you know, which is yeah. now that they're back. Yeah. They have a great album that came out last year. It's like really, really stoked looking forward to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, none, both both bands definitely um, honorable uh, uh, metal legacy bands. None slaughter so hardworking and prolific, um, but but Pro Fanatica, there's kind of like that mystique there where there wasn't any Pro Fanatica shows for a very long time. You know what I mean? And that yeah. sort of thing. So that's yeah, man. I wish you guys the best of luck on that, Mike. Um, I don't want to keep you all night till you say, hey, Will, you know. Time out, man. We you know we gotta cut this. Hopefully, maybe I can get you back later on in the year. We can promote some other st- stuff and get into topics that we didn't even discuss. Uh, but at this point, we're gonna start to wind down. I always close out the interviews asking the listeners to recommend one older piece of music and one more modern, newer piece of music, metal or otherwise, demo album, whatever. There's no strict and stringent rules. Just something from back in the day and something a little bit more recent that you've been jamming that we should listen to. And in this one too, I know we didn't really get into books so much this time because there was so much else to cover. Maybe just tell us what are you reading at the moment or what are like, you know, two or three books that you read in 2023 that you would recommend as well. Cause I know you're an avid reader and that's something I wanted to get into uh, maybe for another time. Well, uh, I, I just started reading this book called the nightlands by William Hope Hodson, which is like, uh, I think it was written back in like 1890 or something like that. It's like, uh, way ahead of its time he predates uh hp lovecraft and uh very much in that weird fiction cosmic horror genre and that's something that's it's an old book but i just found my way to it just now <laughs> and uh that's definitely if you're into if you're into depressing heavy weird horror books there's a new a brand new edit of that came out 
uh, recently that you can find. Just go on Amazon and check it out. It's called The Nightlands. Hmm. Uh, let's see. For old music, man, I got to go to Machine Head by Deep Purple. That's something I've been listening to. It's been creeping its way back into my uh, my regular rotation, along with uh, maybe Hard Volume by the Rollins Band. That's another record that's been sort of creeping in. But as far as a record that came out this year that is new and is probably going to be on my list of top 10 records that's uh, from 2023, is a band called uh, Funerals. And they have a record that came out called Let the Earth Be Silent. And it's... um just like downbeat doom depressing like heavy stuff they're, they're german i think one i think it's a two-piece and there's i think the dude's like from leipzig or something like that and the, there's a lady in the band i think she's british that's uh, a new record that is awesome and uh let's see uh, the new the new sulfur aeon record that's a band that i've been following for a bit and uh what the hell is the new album is called Seven Crowns and Seven Seals. That's the record. Yeah. That band, I don't know if I don't know if you checked them out, but they're like like a black and death metal band. Um you know I'm trying to I forgot what country they're from, but they're I think they're European, but they're just like that record's very cool. Definitely check it out. That's probably gonna be on my top ten list too. So a few fine records. As far as um any other kind of writing to check out. I mean, I, I'm always reading horror stuff and that's like, you know, my big passion actually. And, uh, uh, John Langan wrote a book called the fisherman, which, um, is an older book, but came out a few years ago, but I got, got around to it this year. And it's, uh, once again, like, a Lovecraftian horror has to do with like old gods living in, rural upstate New York that have been around for like thousands of years and how it impacts this community over the course of, you know, this, a century. And it's like one of those types of like uh slow moving kind of atmospheric, like horror films, horror, horror movies, horror books, rather. Sorry. That sounds, yeah, that sounds, recommendations. that sounds interesting, man. Um, my, my new year's resolutions are to read more and go to more shows. Oh, yeah. Um, two that I think are at least realistic for me. So, uh, I'll, I'll include those on my list. Mike, I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything that, that I forgot to plug or promote that you wanted to promote real quick? I mean, just, just for the listeners, you know, in the introduction, I didn't even really mention, um, the names of anything you do. I, you know, I just, you know, quoted you as the, the kind of the prolific Mike Hill, but obviously it's, um, everything went black podcasts. Um, and you have, you, I know you have a very well curated website. Uh, what's your website where there's all the links to all of your podcasts, many of your articles that you've written, um, for different websites and magazines and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, uh, everything went black And, uh, the other, the other podcast I do is, uh, Necromaniacs, which is, um, I do that with Mike Scandato of the band. He, he's been in many bands, but Inhuman is probably the band that most of you guys know him from. And, uh, Jeff Kashid, who uh, played in ISIS, uh, the three of us get together every week and we talk about horror movies. Once again, we're not reviewing it. We're giving our recommendations. <laughs> it's not, so yeah. I don't want to step on anyone's toes yeah. if we don't like something that they like, but you know, everyone's got their own opinion. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, it's just fun, man. And that's, 
what's more fun than talking about horror films every week so that that's what we do on that yeah, we, we lean in every once in a while. Every few months we do a horror movie episode. Um, those are always fun, man. Uh, Mike, um, thank you so much for all of your time. I really do appreciate it, man. We'll be watching you guys coming up uh, next year. We wish you the best. Any parting words for um, listeners and followers of um, all of your work and everything that you've contributed to the underground scene uh, and listeners of our podcast? No, I'd like to thank you personally, man, for inviting me on. It's cool to chat, man. It's you know, like I said, I've been a fan of yours as well. And, uh, you know, I tune in pretty much every week. And, um, yeah, just thanks for listening. Anyone out there who's interested in this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's it's really cool that metal and underground extreme music is, is like, it's it's sort of timeless. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things that just will always exist, you know. And I think that it, it defies all trends and unlike other other genres of music and cultures i think that the extreme music culture is just like eternal it's going to be here it's here to stay really and i'm really excited about people's enthusiasm for just this style of music in general yeah it's at the at the end of the day i think it's about the independence of the human spirit the human spirit trying to express itself and be free um you know it takes a lot of different forms uh but but before before i get on another tangent mike Thank you so much, brother, and have a great night, man. We'll be in touch in the future going forward. All right, cheers, man. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you very much to Mike Hill. We appreciate talking to him about tombs uh, and about everything else he's been involved with in his podcast. Um, I've always uh, I've always kind of looked at him as kind of like the uh, godfather of underground metal podcast. You know, he was doing it before it was fashionable, you know, before, you know, people like me hopped on. <laughs> and uh, now now it's even more fashionable. I everyone <laughs> yeah. is doing it. Yeah. How people like now there's other people doing. I'm not going to name names. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know, man. I just like to yap. I like to run my mouth. I feel like doing this podcast has saved me um, awkward stage banter over the last few years. Like, I get it out. You know what I mean, man? Like, yeah. I'm not to say I haven't said anything stupid on stage the last few years. I have said plenty of stupid things and tongue twisters and whatever t tricks and trinkets on stage. But I, it's, it's definitely like lessened the impact being able to get it all out. Verbal diarrhea on this show every week. If you have an audience, hello audience. Thanks for taking the, uh, the, the quote unquote verbal diarrhea, which I can relate to. Cause you know, this is the second show. And now that I'm not doing that show and I barely do this one, uh, well, my life is different now. Catch me up to speed. So you're not doing Roast Mortem? No, we stopped doing it. We're going to do a, a rebrand where we stream for like an hour and a half on YouTube. It's going to be a direct kind of to an audience uh, format, and it's going to not be all biographicals. It's going to be the history of XYZ, just same kind of spirit animal, but... Looser. There's been so much research in that show, and I ruin it every time by saying something that might be taken as like racist or something, which I'm not. 
but I don't want to offend people anymore, and I'd rather kind of give it a more loose feeling. That good old 90s sense of humor. I don't know. I guess I'm a sucker for old shock radio shit, and uh, man, it's not landed to me in any hot water, but when I listen back, uh, it feels like it could. That that last thing I said before this guy, I threw out a little slide Jerky Boys reference. So don't feel bad, man. I'm 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 right there with you. Um, we don't, you know, we don't normally get controversial on this podcast. I did uh, a, a guest did get, get a guest did go on an odd political tangent recently, and I cut it out. And we put it on the Patreon, uh, but mm. it was like, I mean, they got political, but they also talked about like AI and a lot, like a lot of it went all over the place. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it is, it is what it is. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I did you did you know that recently, Travis from Roast Mortem, uh, and I discovered that we have um, our families, our friends, in a way, we have a close no. family. His uh, rest in peace to his father. Um, he went to, I believe, went to like high school with my mother and my aunt, and they they all grew up in the town of the same generation oh. uh, together. And my my aunt, who passed away a year or two ago, actually worked taking care of Travis's grandmother for like a dozen years. Oh, no way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that was interesting. We just we randomly found found it out through like a shared social media photograph. It was and he hit me up. Yeah. So shout to Travis. Yeah, that was interesting. It's my boy. That's yeah, that's dude. You guys have this like longtime Huntingtonian legacy. And uh, I guess it just runs uh, deep, man. Tr- yeah, trust me, bro. I'm going through this legacy right <laughs> right now, man. My house, I I could, I I could stock like a whole thrift store that's special, the largest bait and tackle section of any thrift store in the tri-state area. That would be my tagline. I mean, uh, yeah, my 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 uh, my family legacy is like a hoarder house worth of fishing equipment. I shout to Justin. Uh, every once in a while, I shoot him a text. Do you want this pen reels jacket, you know, or something along those lines? But we're yeah, we're slowly going through everything. Um, I found a a handheld like fish weigher, like it's like a little hook with a scale, like it's like it's like it fits in your pocket. You can weigh oh. off. Yeah, it got me thinking like what else you could weigh, you know? I don't know. Um, but listen, before we go any further down my uh, the collapsing interior of my imagination. I want you to weigh in on a recommendation that you brought to my attention recently, Tom. All right, I will do. Let me pull up the old Metallum so I don't uh, screw anything up. So uh, I brought this band a long time ago to the podcast, the band Zoth from Seattle, Washington. Uh, I brought the album Interdimensional Invocations last time. That was in 2019. Four years later, they've released a new album called Exogalactic. And what I loved about the first one that I brought in was um, it's kind of storytelling, semi-technical thrash, fantasy kind of stuff. Like the way this, it sounds unique. It's like kind of for fans of, um, how, how would I best describe this? If you're having fun and you want to be on a horse and you uh, maybe that horse rides through space, way down on this sci-fi kind of... Um, uh, space journey stuff, exogalactic, if that does not say enough for you right there. So this new album they released, uh, it kind of follows up on the previous one. Uh, a lot of really catchy stuff. 
Uh, they have these catchy moments throughout. Every song kind of has like a theme. I love the way these guys play their instruments. They take their guitar playing very seriously, but at no point do you feel like you're being uh, fucked with in terms of like overly technical. They're playing things that will get stuck in your head. They know how to hold the right notes out for the right amount of time. And um, yeah, just like the previous release, Exogalactic by Zoth is a journey. And I highly recommend this one. It's Iron Maiden on crack. It's Iron Maiden and Children of Bodom, kind of spirit animal, but with a way more aggressive overtone because the vocalist really comes in quite, quite intense. Yeah, I, I would like to co-sign that. Um, everything you just said, but I'll wager you this, Tom. Did you realize that there's a born and bred Long Island boy in this band? Oh, wait. No, I didn't. All right. Um, yeah, we're on Metallum. It's staring you right in the face. Um, there's actually like a very quick line drawn if you want, if you want to do the old six degrees of uh, separation. Um, to me, it's all about me, Tom, just like every episode of this podcast. No, I'm just it. kidding. Yeah. Drummer Jeremy Salvo. Uh, of Zoth is a um, you know an old school Long Island guy that relocated to the Pacific Northwest of our country and eventually ended up in this band Zoth. He was in bands from Long Island such as Perpetual Suffering and Cyanide Breed. Cyanide Breed, a band that shared members with a band I used to be in uh, from the Long Island, New York area. So. Um, and I know Jeremy. Jeremy was nice enough to put us up when we went on tour uh, at his place. And um, we, you know, we, we, I, I've seen him once or twice come out when, when we would go out to uh, Washington on tour. It's been several years now since I've seen the guy. So I'm very happy to uh, see him actually kind of like pop up randomly in this band that my friends are recommending to me. And I can say, oh, shit, that's my boy. So um, shout out to Jeremy and all the other people in this band. Um, I'm very happy to see that this band is still keeping it going. They have this is now their third full length, um, which is which is impressive. They've been around since 2014. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how much more I could add to this outside of what you said. But yeah, definitely a worthy recommendation. And I just want to shout out Jeremy and make note of that uh, connection. Jeremy, great drumming on this album. Like I said, all the instrumentals are crazy. And um, there's a four-year gap between the last one and this one, and it sounds like they've been practicing the entire time. Because that, that last one, that 2019 one, was good. This one is masterful, the way they play it. So shout out to all of them. Yeah, dude. Um, great recommendation. You want to bring it in? Yeah, let's do it. I'm so used to I'm just, I'm so used to saying the name of the album and the band and saying, "All right, Tom." Thanks a lot, um, Tom, for that recommendation. Thank you to Mike Hill. Uh, Tom, I want to tell the people about some shows coming up, if you got a minute. Sure. All right. And as always, um, when, you know, I I say this from time to time. It's been a, it's been a while on the show. Um, but we go to nycmetalscene.com. 
Not NYCMetalShows.com, which I've said mistakenly. NYCMetalScene.com. Shout out to Matt. Um, he's got some videos. He's got links up there. Uh, he's a guy with a long history in the New York City metal scene and beyond. And this is a website that lists all the shows that are going on, not just in New York City and Long Island, but kind of even in the surrounding states, New England. He, he goes up and down the coast a little bit. So if you're on planning a trip uh, somewhere to the East Coast or uh, or if you're you're out here and you, you don't know where to go, check out nycmetalscene.com. I'm just going to read off. By the time this episode gets out, I think we're going to be well into January, Tom. So we're going to go scroll down. Let's start with, um, well, January 10th, 2024, Wednesday at Quinn's Pins in Middletown, New York. You got Escuela, uh, Camierda, Slow Pulse, and Sick Bay. Um, at, up there at the old Quinn's Pins in Middletown, New York. Reeking War was fortunate to play there over last summer that's an awesome venue it's got it's like a bowling alley and they got pinball machines and arcades and people bring their kids they watch the medals it's beautiful experience man um that's the wednesday the wednesday january the 10th uh up there at um middletown new york quinspins and dave a few episodes ago dave and i discussed uh the latest sick bay album have you have you heard them tom no i have not uh, highly recommended upstate stuff um you might have heard of this next band uh also um, far enough away, Baltimore, Maryland, Wednesday, January 10th, Tool at the CFG Bank Arena. Tom, let me pop this question to you. Are, have you ever been a Tool guy? Were you a Tool guy? Are you a Tool nah, guy? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, the problem is, is that I, I know enough music theory. I know enough about time signatures to understand it. And Tool, to me, has always been one of those bands that unless you're a drummer, um, yeah. And I don't know if you're not a drummer, but you understand time signatures. There's nothing pre- impressive about Tool. Wow. Um, I'm someone who wants. I want to stick up for Tool more than I like Tool. I don't know why. It's the contrarian in me. I don't I, actually really listen to a whole lot of Tool. I I remember their videos were sick back in the day. Their videos were very sick, actually. The the Parabola yeah. one, I really liked that when I was a kid. I think that came out when I was like 12 or 13, and I watched yeah. that a bunch. Well, they're going to be at Madison Square Garden Friday, January 12th. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. I, I, hope, I hope it sells out. I wish them the best. They don't need us. They don't need you. <laughs> they're doing great. Uh, you got to punch up, man. Can't punch down. Saturday, January the 13th, you got Life of Agony Prong at Salty's Beach Bar in Belmar, New Jersey. Salty's Beach Bar is the new spot I hear out there in New Jersey. Life of Agony and Prong. That's that's speaking of the 90s, by the way. Um, Saturday, January 13th, 2024, you got the Latino Punk Fest Benefit for Fest. Latino Punk Fest Benefit for Fest. That's what it says. Featuring No Fucker. Vaccines, Salvage Punk, Cartel, Sorted at TVI in Brooklyn, New York. Have you been to TVI? Uh, no. No. Hmm. Tell me. Have you? No, no. I'm asking because, like, I, you know, I feel like a bunch of new venues kind of popped up in Brooklyn post-COVID. And uh, I I want to know what they are. I remember that place. I want to know these things. I've been to Vitus a bunch, obviously. But the thing is, the Long Island scene is very healthy uh, and my New Year's resolution is to go to more shows. I haven't been, to, you know, it's like I, I don't want to get back into the whole sob story about the renovations at my house and all this shit, but I haven't been leaving the house much lately. Um, so, no, I, I don't know that one. 
But I do know that every band from the 90s is doing a reunion show. Did you know that Poison the Well is going to be at the Warsaw in Brooklyn January 19th? Good for them. I had a lot of friends who were into that band. I never really gave them much of a shot. But, um, yeah, a bunch of my hardcore pals when I was younger. They're doing two days in a row. They're going to be there January 19th and 20th, the Warsaw. But they must be selling out then. Warsaw is big, man. The 90s was a good time to do some cool shit and then break up and come back 25 years later. Tell you that much. Hell yeah. uh, Mr. Big at Starland Ballroom, Friday, February 2nd. Nice. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's not fuck around here. Mr. Big, still doing it big. Um, that new metal band, Project Hybrid Theory, Piss Mob, Succumbed, Revenants at QXTs in Newark, New Jersey. Dude, new metal is coming back. It is. I see a lot of... Um, I'm a, at- I, I enjoy the latest Limp Bizkit release. I do. It's very good. And I, I know Justin, I just upset everyone. Justin recommended that, didn't he, a while ago? Maybe, maybe yeah. I did. Maybe he did. I don't know. It was less, yeah, that was actually the that was the reason why you guys haven't been back on the show. Oh, right, before. right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, dude, speaking of the 90s, February 8th, uh, 2024, Fear Factory and Machine Head at Paradise Rock Club in Boston, Massachusetts. Fear Factory and Machine Head are on tour again. I mean, it's like the late night. It's like I'm 17 again, only I'm like, my back hurts and I'm bold. Uh, <laughs> that's just everybody's experience, man. They're going to be in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Wind Creek Event Center <laughs> February 9th. Dude, that sounds like the spot to see some 90s throwback metal, bro. The Wind Creek Event Center in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that sounds good. I bet. Oh, man. That sounds like a place where you go to a metal show. They're going to be handing out some Christian flyers as you walk in the door and protesting you and shit. I would kind of like embrace that, you know? <laughs> oh, bro. Yo, Static X and Seven Dust at Starland Ballroom in Sayreville, New Jersey, February 10th. Bro, they're all back. I Everyone actually watched back. I watched a live video of what the new Static X is, you know, since Wayne Static's passing. Um, mm-hmm. they got some guy, I think he's from the, uh, the murder dolls or one of those other bands that was hyper goth back in the early two thousands. And he's like wearing a mask that kind of looks like him with a big pointy, like, you know, slim Jim head. And he sounds good. The guy sounds good, but it's more of like a, um, it's, it's kind of like a cross between here's three quarters of the real band and then somewhat of a, uh, Chuck E. Cheese presentation. It's pretty pretty interesting. It's over the top. It's cool. I don't hate it. It's just unique because you don't see a lot of bands that had to replace like the lead guy to do this in that fashion. <laughs> no, you you know what? Uh, no comment because I got some funny jokes on my mind right now, man. But we'll leave it. As that. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just check it out. I probably wouldn't see a live, but it's interesting to see on YouTube. I'm just thinking about bands that bands that I um bands that I've been replaced in, man. But it, regardless, <laughs> I'm thinking of a Chuck E. Cheese Big Will with the, <laughs> with the goggles on. <laughs> um, guys, they yeah they'd have to they'd have, not only not only would they have to fucking get the guy in a fucking pair of space goggles, but they'd have to get him a fat suit, man. Come on, you can't do that with these skinny guys with the tattoos, man. See, yeah, pat him up, put a fucking um, put a put a helmet to emulate thinningness. <laughs> Oh, man. let me <laughs> let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop because I could go in Tuesday, February the thirteenth, right for Valentine's Day. Vale Amaya at Gramercy Theater in New York City. What, what's Vale Amaya, Tom? I know they're named after a cynic song, but I don't think I ever heard them. 
They, uh, so I got into, they had this one album called ID. They were kind of like a proto gent band. They were for gent popped off somewhere between, uh, gent and metalcore. They're pretty good for the style of music for sure. Like, uh, they can write a pretty catchy song here and there. Um, from what I heard, the, the original vocalist was like kicked out and he was pretty sick. And then they came out with an album. I heard a song and I just kind of dropped off um, uh makes makes me want to listen to cynic <laughs> yeah um i would say listen to uh they have an album called id check that one out sample the songs there but beyond that i i couldn't speak to it tom this next one's for you friday february 16th uh in philadelphia um saturday february 17th in brooklyn new york and sunday february 18th in boston massachusetts you got municipal waste ghoul necrot and dead heat all torn together some um, of the boys out there that's a solid lineup that's yeah. that's that's a fun show you're gonna have fun if you go to that yeah unfortunately nothing comes to savannah i worked i moved to the worst place for shows man there's nothing down here you gotta have house shows i'm gonna start i'm gonna get another house well maybe th this show might be coming to you man this, this is a big one i'm actually going to be drinking moonshine and hanging out inside of the bathroom at pantera and lamb of god madison square garden new york city you probably Correct. can't hang anywhere and uh over there man the last time i wasn't uh, it wasn't no, it was madison square garden i was at nassau coliseum man when you go down to get um a drink uh you know from like the the little bar area it's like you you feel like you're um you feel like you're in, in like the, the customs like you're in security at the airport or something man you just like want to get your drink and get the fuck out of there I don't even think they take cash it's like really uh, regimented it's kind of kind of nuts yeah and they're like twenty dollar Budweisers right I think it was something stupid like sixteen dollars for a regular bottle of Heineken something like that yeah it's been a while I'm trying what concert it was I forget what concert that was I went to there but it's been a while man I, I mean there's nothing more metal than getting in line for a long time to wait for a beer yeah yeah dude uh, <laughs> i mean that's why i like shakers bro you know what yeah. i'm saying so i like the underground venues uh nycmetalscene.com for more shows if you want to check all that stuff out man they got a lot more shows listed there and they're always adding more um in different areas around the, the new york city area branching out with their radar tom it's been good hanging with you today man always a pleasure man thanks for having me back yeah, we got to get you back on. And you know what's funny, man? I originally had Tom on for a special bonus episode where we were going to air out all the voicemails, all these months, no voice. Where are the voicemails? I said, you know what, Tom? It's, it's about time. It's been a rough year. I've been very busy. I apologize. But we got to do a voicemail catch-up episode. And uh, we booked it. We scheduled it. I completely blew it and fucked up uh, and missed it. And then an hour and 45 minutes later, I texted Tom and apologized. And here we are. And there's no voicemails, man. For once, for once this year, I'm not the one who dropped the ball with Heavy Hole Podcast. It was you, the listener. The, you, yeah. you, guys, you guys all let me down. Let's do voicemails in 2024. Listen, I know I got a couple of the episodes late. I know every once in a while they're wham, wham, wham. My dad died. I'm not doing an episode this week. I'm not interviewing the <laughs> bass player. I'm not interviewing the bass player of Epileptic Tumor this week because my dad died. My dad would appreciate that joke. My dad had a sense of humor. Um, it's all good. But listen, though, seriously, let's leave more voicemails in 2024. 
Uh, the voicemail number should be in the uh, description, wherever you're reading, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, and drop some emails, heavyholdpodcast at gmail.com. It's not just for people who want to be interviewed on the show. Leave us your recommendations, your thoughts, your problems with things going on in the scene, what you like going on in the scene. Just, just talk about it. Something I, I said something you don't like on the show. Big shock. Um, Tom said something you don't like on the show. I'm going to cancel. No shit. Yeah. That's what. That's why you're getting kicked off again for another six months, Tom. Yeah, I'll that's see you I'm all allowed. in six months. Tom was not allowed on this show for like eight months unless he was escorted by Nick Didkowski, a very rational, you know, like mediator. Adult. I need to hold my tongue. Yeah, I needed, next I needed time, someone with a brain. Next time you come back, Nick might have to escort you again, Tom. I don't know. We're gonna see. We're gonna get the feedback from the listeners in the voicemail this time. Um, Justin is still, I actually, I don't want to say anything about Justin. I need the artwork shout to Justin all day. He's uh, he's out there at field and stream looking at the fishing rods and reels, uh, when he knows he could just come by and get some anytime he wants, man. Um, Tom, I think I'm my, Mike Hill was a great guest. We appreciate his time. The OG of extreme metal podcasting, uh, salute, um, check out Zoth. Big shout to Jeremy. Glad to see him doing big things in his band there. And, uh, anything did I, did I, did I leave anything out? No, nah, man. That's all I got. I think that's all you have, too. Heavy Hole Podcast to Patreon. Uh, check out the voicemail and uh, call us up and leave us one. Yeah.